Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic podcast. That's right, we are back, full force, it's season two. We are getting into the Snyderverse in preparation for Justice League, the Snyder Cut. And I've always got to shout out our longtime sponsor, Radar Toys. Shop at RadarToys.com and get free shipping in the U.S. of A. Save an extra 10% using the code BATFANPOD when you check out. Now, I'm always joined by my co-hosts, Ben and Evan, for better or worse. These guys have stuck with me from day one. We have an awesome conversation here about one of the more polarizing superhero films of our time. This is Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Okay, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, 2016. And this March, uh, which should be when this episode airs, is the five-year anniversary of this film. It's directed by Zack Snyder, written by Chris Terrio and David S. Goyer. Terrio we know from uh, Argo. Goyer we know from the Dark Knight trilogy. Starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Jesse Eisenberg, Diane Lane, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeremy Irons, Holly Hunter, and of course, Gal Gadot. Score composed by Hans Zimmer and the worst name in music since Sammy Warmhands, Junkie XL. <laughs> First thing I want to talk I about. Sammy Warmhands did the music for this. Yeah. <laughs> First thing I want to shout out here as we're talking about the credits is that I remember unprompted, I had no idea this was going to happen, but being at that midnight premiere, seeing Bill Finger's name on screen next to Bob Kane. That was the first time that ever happened. And uh, me being the fanboy that you guys make fun of, I got a little misty already. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that's fucking awesome. I think that's the most true emotion you felt watching this film. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had a weird thing in the credits. Steve Nuchin's name came up. Who's that? He was Trump's appointee. He's either the head of the Fed or the head of the Treasury. <laughs> but he was also a movie producer. That's what he did before. That. So weird. It's just really weird to see that name in this context. That's funny. I, I just want to say before we get started that this movie is from 2016, and it really shows to me. It really, It's dated itself already. It's very obvious. <laughs> All right, so uh, there's a little context to discuss before we break it down. This movie was in development for so long that there is even a fake billboard of it in I Am Legend from nine years before this came out. I mean, this is something that the studios had wanted to do prior to even Batman Begins, you know, when they didn't know. It was like, oh, is this going to be Aronofsky or like, you know, George Miller or who's, who's taken over for DC, you know? So this is something that, there have been many incarnations of leading up to this finally happening. On top of that, we had the same sort of Heath Ledger, Michael Keaton fan backlash when Affleck was cast. Which is insane to me. That is insane. Who ended up being everyone's favorite part 
pretty much. But people knew Affleck so much for his turn-of-the-century roles and were not thinking of the town and Argo and all these great performances he's given. We're we're thinking of that he's like a six-foot-three jacked rich white guy. (laughs) (laughs) Just on that alone, that's a great Bruce Wayne starting point. (laughs) That's insane that people would hear that and go like, him as Bruce Wayne, what? (laughs) It's a pretty good fit, yeah. And I... I totally get why people would have been skeptical if they hadn't followed his career, but personally, since he started directing, he is one of my favorite filmmakers on and off camera, just really, really stepped up his game in, in many, many ways. So, yeah, He's a Hollywood treasure. He really has become that. And, um, you know, <laughs> his, he's one of those few people who has had a multiple rise and fall relationship and come back you know his his last yeah. movie the way back has got him in oscar contention right now and so once again proving that he has real staying power he got those incredible highs of daredevil and you know the incredible <laughs> lows of batman and, you know. he's a great fit for daredevil but batman get real i is a blind guy <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I'll mention here is that there's sort of the context of Man of Steel because this is a sequel. So a couple things on that. One, this movie is a reaction to the backlash from Man of Steel. People thought that that Superman was too dark and to Zack Snyder, basically, you know, and too many people died in the final battle. Yeah, exactly. And, and people really had um, gripes about that. So there was kind of already beginning to be two camps of like, we love Zack Snyder or we fucking hate Zack Snyder. And um, just as a general recap, story wise, in Man of Steel, Jonathan Kent died for the belief that the world was not ready to see what Clark or Cal was capable of. He thought this would be terrible if they knew what he could do. And he sacrificed himself for that principle. And when this Superman came out, it was not like the Christopher Reeve films or Superman Returns, where you see this guy who's been in action. This is a person who has been in hiding for deeply personal reasons who is then coaxed out into the public by Zod, because if he doesn't, a lot of people are going to fucking die, you know? And so we're not seeing a fully realized character. We're still seeing this dude struggling to find himself. And I just say that because, again, a lot of people sort of, I believe, misunderstand that like, oh, we don't understand what Superman's supposed to be like, and this isn't the bright and sunny, altruistic, iconic Superman that we know, but I believe it very much is. It's that character trying to exist in this world, and he's going to take some time to get there. I think there's some of that, and I really do like that in this universe, Zod is his first big confrontation, because having his first real fight be against someone who is just as strong as him. Yeah. That's cool. That's a neat way to do it. That's a neat way to establish the character. And there's no kryptonite. It's just there's this dude in hiding and someone from your people shows up and was like, I know you're here, motherfucker. Stand up. 
but I do think this movie, both of these movies, miss a little bit of what Superman is, and that he. It's a problem I have with this movie in general with a lot of the characters. Yeah. Kind of the whole idea of Superman is that he is so powerful that it's more about how he uses that power than it is like, I don't want to say it. He's, he's always positive mm-hmm. and never like vindictive or mean like Batman is because yeah. he can solve every situation by killing people and crushing their heads. And it would be no challenge whatsoever. Yeah. So what to me is central to Superman is that he's not like that. And this Superman, and you, maybe you could argue it's because this is a more realistic world or, or his backstory or whatever, but this Superman isn't like that. This Superman is dark and kind of mean and he threatens people and stuff like that. And it's weird to me. Yeah, and I get that. I mean, at the same time, it's like, this is that character right now. And it's not the 30s and it's not the 70s. And it's just, it's just a different take. And so I know some people have a big problem with that. I personally do not. So I think that is relevant, just the cultural context here, as well as six weeks after this movie came out and was totally panned, very controversial, the same movie was released by Marvel under the name Captain America Civil War. I left the theater from Captain America not to review that movie in any way, but going, these are the exact same movie, and I broke it down. I reject that premise. I reject that completely. That's fine. Evan agrees with me. Do you, you think that Zack Snyder was inspired by Dragon Ball Z? With yes. With <laughs> Vegeta coming back to Earth to track down Goku and battle him? Or Raditz and then Just, Vegeta and Goku? Well, Dragon Ball Z is inspired by Superman. But I think I Zack think Snyder... <laughs> but I think, no, I think these Zack Snyder movies, like the worst parts of them to me, are that where it becomes Dragon Ball Z at the end. And I love Dragon Ball Z, but like you go from this kind of like very real gritty relationship stuff and like kind of visceral fights into things like that to it just becomes a CG slugfest of like a, yeah. almost like an internet short or something like that. Uh-huh. And that totally seems like Dragon Ball Z, like the end of Man of Steel. I've only ever seen clips of it because oh. I, I didn't finish that movie. Looks like Dragon Ball Z. That's exactly the how I Wonder wish. Woman looks like Dragon Ball Z. That's, yeah, not a that's how. Movie, that's how I wish that Dragon Ball looked all the time with like that epic scale of city leveling destruction. <laughs> I, I think what I like about Superman in Man of Steel and what I like about Superman in this is that Superman to me gets this whole like bubblegum world treatment for some reason where everything is like cops and robbers and somehow Superman exists in there and he's just like busting baddies. And that's just yeah, like a normal day at work for him. Like everybody's like, yeah, he's just, he's just the strongest. He's just like hella good at everything, <laughs> but not what that means for governments or for anybody's moral compass or his moral compass or what that means to anybody's religious beliefs or our comprehension of the universe or anything like that. Like they just made a character who they were like, all right, it's just a, you know, faster than a speeding bullet yeah. with the underpants on the outside. And that's it. And just supposed <laughs> to, like that's, that's cool that that's that guy, but it's way easier for me to assume that the world is always the same and that you just have different characters in it who have different personalities and deal with it differently. Spider-Man's take is going to be like funny in teenage yeah and sarcastic and stuff but that's his personality in a normal world but it was like as if when superman got created they also made a separate world that was also more based in the past and more 
white picket fences and more yeah. American dreamy and stuff like that that wasn't so gritty. But this is addressing some of those other things, like how does Superman's presence affect our hierarchy and like our understanding of ourselves and everything. Like in some of the other comics, they talk about kind of this arms race that is like a real life historic thing. Just the advancements of technology. Dark Knight Returns, which so exactly. much of this movie draws from. Yeah, that's totally. kind of what it's all about. Yeah, you like technology and armament and warfare and history and stuff. And then how Superman's presence instantly alters it. And I think that that's so cool. And I love him as a character, as a like innocent, pure farm boy. And I love, I love how he is in, um, in Noel. I love his dialogue with Batman and like the purity that comes across and how he's so powerful and still so capable of seeing the good. But this starts to really pull back these layers of like, it's not that simple. You can't just land here and be incredibly powerful and fix everything. The end, your presence on this planet has such rippling effects that you have to deal with. Yeah. I think you're right. And especially with the stuff about the way the world reacts to him. <laughs> the way the world reacts to him. I think that movie does this really well, and that is interesting. But when you bring up Noel, like that's my point is that there is some of that where it's like he's in a bubblegum world and his world is just different than the world they give other heroes. But like in Noel, it's not. And it's again because he is so extremely powerful, but also because unlike Batman, his parents weren't murdered when he was a little kid. And this movie changes that a little bit, but I mean he had parents for a big chunk of his life. And the way they shaped his view of the world combined with his extreme power is what makes him gentle and nice and not mean. It's not just that he lives in a softer world. It's that that is the way he approaches the world combined with the fact that he never faces any physical or mortal threats. That's what makes him that way. Not just because they make his world weak. And that's where this kind of movie doesn't hit that for me. And that's why I bring up this Jonathan Kent and this upbringing being a little well, different. How old was he when he died in that movie? Clark would have been a teenager. They were rescuing people during like a tornado. Jonathan Kent runs out there to get one last person or one last dog or something out of a car and he sees it coming and he turns to look at Clark and he just goes like this. And there's a half head turn of like no. So you see this agony uh, much like Chris Reeves shows when he finds Lois buried under the rubble and he has that guttural scream and you see this breaking him because he believes in that conviction so strongly that he's going to not only sacrifice himself, but put his son through that knowing you could save me, but this is what's right. And because of everything Evan just said about, we see the media's reaction, we see the government's reaction, we see people in the streets protesting. I mean, there's so many elements that are not meant to understand something like this that is so beyond our comprehension. But isn't the whole, at least a big chunk of the thesis of that movie and this movie is that he's wrong? Is that Superman is useful to the world and he's supposed to be out there? Yeah, and again, that's why I don't, have any issues with this stuff is because it's all him arriving at that. Again, people are introduced to him earlier than usual, and we are introduced to Batman 
later than usual. I don't think had we seen Ben Affleck and Jeff John's script, The Batman, made prior to this, in an alternate world here, if that had come out first and we see his Batman and then we see this future Batman, or even if they had fucking brought in like Casey Affleck and done a couple of flashbacks or some shit like that, that people would understand there is a shift that occurred here. And both of these characters are at different points in their arc than we are ever used to seeing. And that's why it's an interesting starting point. But everyone else read those things. as Not, not everyone, but I'm just saying in terms of the... A lot of the criticism you saw. Yeah, before we begin here, you know, a lot of the negativity was in regard to saying like, well, they don't understand the characters. But again, that's not the point. We're taking them in a different context and at different points in their lives than we've seen before. We're not doing the same shit. So, I say that, uh, and all of it ties in with what I was about to say about Captain America. Because here we have two main characters, head-to-head. One of them is the human hero, you know, the the tech-savvy billionaire person, you know, inherited wealth from their family, kind of a rogue I do what I want person. We have the altruistic superhero who works you know, with... I thought you were talking about Winter Soldier. That's why I was so angry with you. I see it with Civil War. Keep going, but yes, yeah. I see it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we have the altruistic superhero who works with the establishment, embraces American iconography, right? Synonymous with the American dream and those traditional values, right? These heroes are at odds with each other. The human hero in both films mourns the losses, the bystanders, the casualties from the previous film. So one was as a result of Age of Ultron and Sokovia. One was as a result of Man of Steel in Metropolis. This human hero seeks to right that wrong and eliminate the threat, okay? The altruistic superhero in these stories demands autonomy, continues to intervene across international borders and do what they feel is right regardless. An outside force manipulates these people towards the main confrontation. There is a staged bombing by this person at a public hearing about this fucking shit where Black Panther's dad is killed that's a hearing about the Avengers and what they should be allowed to do. But, but my only problem with this is I think this is more symptomatic of just unoriginal writing because Civil War comes from a comic that's older. I know. I'm just saying. Created for this. I'll, I'll get to my point here in a second. Um, so we yeah, have this fuck up. terrorist bombing <laughs> at the Capitol, just like the one we saw. And then at the, the end of the movie, the death of the mortal hero's parents playing a crucial point in the film's climax, right? In Civil War, he's going after Bucky and he's saying, he killed my fucking mom. And that scene is just a much better version of the exact same thing that we saw with the reviled Martha scene. But see, you hit on it right there. That's why people like I know, that movie. I know, I know. Because it's better executed i know we'll get to it but i'm just saying (laughs) 
There's so much context around the time of this movie that in order to review it, I have to acknowledge the backlash and then the reasons for that before we can even talk about the movie and give it a fair shake. (laughs) It's kind of like we talked about when you watched Rises at the premiere. You're like, wow, that was great. And in the hallway, your friend is like, that was fucking terrible. You're like, wait, what? Hurt my feelings. It made me feel bad. <laughs> yeah. One of those movies was revered. One of those movies was... Reviled. Uh, yeah, reviled. That's the word so, you should use. And, I um, appreciate how steeped you are in reviews and people's responses to this stuff because I have no perception of any of this stuff. Again, the fanatic part is not an exaggeration. <laughs> I, yeah, I care. Not, not in a like, um, like, I don't give a fuck. What people say, kind of stuff. I, like I never feel like that, but it's not on my radar how people feel about stuff at all, and it has zero impact on. I'm not saying it impacts in like a you. general sense. In like yeah, a, just like yeah. if somebody told me that I should or shouldn't watch a movie, I would not listen to them. I would do whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> and so, have you not watched have, all those movies they recommended? Um, maybe. <laughs> I'm glad that you have to watch my recommendations in order to do the show. <laughs> Well, no, I, I think it's good. I guess that just I'm not swayed by that kind of stuff. Again, you're not either. The opinions and thoughts of his friends. He doesn't. Care yeah, I just no. I just don't. I don't have any awareness of this kind of stuff. I'm not. I don't seek information out after the fact. I'm not like in AOL chat rooms talking <laughs> to people about stuff. I, you yeah, know, I and that, that's. I don't know how people think about stuff. That's the key, is because I am the kind of person who. When we're younger, we all hang out with our friends all the time, right? We go to the movie and we talk about it in the lobby and in the parking lot. And we have a good time, you know? And like nowadays, I'll go home and I'll watch the cast interviews. I'll watch like the behind the scenes, the honest trailers, you know? And then I want to get on, on social media and be like, oh, that was great. And then I'll see every other person going like, that was the fucking worst thing I ever fucking seen. I'm like, what? What did you not understand, you fucking monsters? Like, people treat it like they, it's they the room. Not liked it. Yeah, and that's fine. Anyone who gives like a rational response to something, I, I, you know, I can respect that. But like the outcry, there was no <laughs> rational criticism. And so I know it's a lot to tack on to an already long show, but. No, um, you're, you're the one who has to edit it. I don't care. I, I skipped this movie entirely. Not because like I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's bad, or I trust people's opinion. I just, I didn't have any interest in watching it, so I didn't see it until like three years later. Really? I didn't, the first time I watched the movie wasn't that long ago, so I kind of saw it outside of that bubble. And that's I knew what good. Thought, but that's very good. Yeah, I don't actually. know if I saw the ultimate version or the theatrical version. That's something that I really wanted us to see the ultimate version one, so we all see the same one. Kind of like Nightfall when we're like, wait, which issues did you read? Um, (laughs) But like, it's one that I watched the original version many, many times. And when I finally saw the ultimate cut, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense, though, because, you know, they're showing a lot of the little less exciting pieces that actually feed Lex's plan and, you know, kind of put it all together. So it it just, like, you you can't just take out random links in a chain because you want more action and a shorter runtime. I do think that's a fault of the movie, though. 
if you have to make your movie three hours long to fix that, that's a problem with your movie. Yeah, I mean, and Zach is that dude. There's like a four-hour version of Watchmen, and you know we're about to see a four-hour version of Justice League. I mean, he—that's just his style of storytelling, and and it can be bloated, you know. Yeah, bloated is a, is a word I would use. Yeah, I mean, because that's the biggest issue I had with this. I tend to now, anyway, with movies, especially long ones, I break them up into multiple viewings. Yeah, just because I think with like life being what it is, I don't want to give up my entire evening before I have to go back and do all that terrible life stuff or not terrible but just like going to work right now is not the best thing in the world yeah so i don't want to spend three hours with this movie so i broke it into three nights but just like watching three episodes of the expanse is like the most exciting thing in the world watching this movie in three chunks it was a slog i can only imagine having to watch the last hour of this movie by itself as like this is my evening that would not be fun (laughs) that was the most exciting one though because the first chunk of this movie was so boring I like the boring. I really do. It's like that. I don't like boring, but it's un, it's uninteresting boring. Like a Scorsese movie where they're just talking. That's the most exciting stuff. Yeah. And this, these aren't those kind of writers. They can't, I don't think they carry that kind of material. All right. So let's dive in here. Okay. It begins with, in my opinion, the best on screen Batman origin we've, we've seen. We've talked about whether it's necessary at all times, but the fact that they just glossed over it in this beautiful visual montage i thought was fantastic again i was already emotional seeing bill finger's name and watching this unfold for the first time was like this is what it should be i'm picturing the waterworks yeah like i never need to see this again after this perfect you know two minute version of it and just like shut the fuck up man (laughs) Oh, she loves and going Batman to these. Parents, uh, I don't want to say No, I agree with you there because that's that shows you Zack Snyder's. I think his real strength is just like his visual style and his visual sense. Because my only problem with that intro is I just don't like the shot when young Bruce is falling down the well. That looks so fake and so like green screened, which is the worst version of his style. But everything else about that intro is awesome. It's I, just like I thought that shot you need to see. looked identical to Batman Begins. Honestly, I didn't. It didn't distract me it's in any way. It's all slow mo, and there's a weird like depth issue with the oh. character, and then the background behind him. It's just it's too much. Yeah, it's egregious. But everything else in that is just the right amount of stylized to be really. It pulls you in. Yeah, I think if a child was to fall face first down a well, they would be injured <laughs> on the back end. <laughs> um, Severely. I liked two things in the scene with his parents. I liked that the slide from his gun firing is yeah. what breaks her necklace. I think that that's really cool. Which again is totally not even practical, but looks awesome. Yeah, it's just an awesome visual. And again, because we're we're talking about a thing that we're seeing and rereading multiple times and how many times are we seeing the same thing portrayed? Yeah. And so what is going to set one apart from the other one? And so that's what I'm thinking apart from this is I love that. And I love just in two shots, Thomas clenches his fist and moves towards the shooter. And for the first time I'm seeing his father portrayed as a man of action. Like he was shot in attempting to defend his family, not just shot by some crook. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the comedian from Watchmen. He's a big dude. He's not the kind of meek, 
doctor we've seen in like. He looks more like Bruce Wayne. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's got a solid mustache. <laughs> I just, thought, I just thought that was so badass because again, um, how does that? Well, when you think about um, family and you think about genetics and the things they get passed on, yeah, that means that means that Bruce wasn't just like, I'm going to learn karate. Damn it, <laughs> my parents murdered, and that means his dad was a fighter as well. Like he was a doctor and he was compassionate. And also he would stare down a gun for his family. Yeah. So that's who Bruce ended up being. I think that's super cool. Yeah. It's an instinct. But I think it is an instinct, but I think you can look at it in the same way that other versions of Thomas Wayne are like Bruce resents him for being weak and not doing something. Mm -hmm. Clearly his instincts didn't work here. And it ties in well with the story of this movie. Like he should just slow down a little bit and think before he goes straight to violence or some kind of dramatic action, because sometimes you'll just die and then your wife will die. For sure. But I mean, to Ev's point, it's just a different analysis of the same thing we've seen. And what it shows me just in these opening frames is that this is a super fan. This is not Nolan going, okay, what if I take this character, you know, but everything is real modern day present, you know, and then My name is Robin. or Burton, you know, going like, okay, yeah, I'm going to take that, but I'm going to just put it in my whole world, you know? And so a lot of these things are Batman, but some of it in name only. And, and you, you're getting a sense from the beginning of this movie like, this is for us. Like, that was the feeling I was getting as I'm watching the beginning of this movie. Mm, no? You don't have that feeling from the opening of this movie? No. To me, that's more in the sense of, because it's the same thing with Watchmen and 300, and I love those movies. But it's more like, to me, Zack Snyder is someone who looks at the comic and goes, I'm just going to make that. Even if he changes things, like he's like, I'm just going to make that. Well, I like Christopher Nolan because he walks the line of changing things, but it still feels like Batman versus like, I'm just going to do that thing that the comic already did, Okay, which works in 300 and Watchmen. I don't think works as well in this. I guess that's two sides of the same thing. You can either call that service to the material or you could call it lazy, but the, the and you're calling result, it lazy. I, that's what I'm getting from. No, you're calling it, no, you're calling it lazy. I'm not calling it anything. Uh, I can't believe you'd call this movie lazy. That's just very, <laughs> you know, because you could, you could, you could read some material and want to be as true to it as possible. But who's to say what your intentions with that are? You either wanted to make something that was the the cinema version of a comic, or you wanted to do as little work as possible. Who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. You didn't want to make up anything. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you could ever accuse this guy of phoning it in and not putting enough time and detail. Yeah. You know, that's that's, that's completely fair. not yeah. even real. Um, He's not lazy. He makes a long movie. <laughs> we follow this with another, in my opinion, perfect scene. Batman is introduced as Bruce Wayne in Metropolis in a frame-by-frame -frame recreation of the controversial end of Man of Steel. And so this is not the superheroes punching in the sky but from the ground view and how fucking scary that would be, much like when you're in a Godzilla movie and he steps on land and you're like, 
down there with all the people running around like 9-11 or something, you know, and, and that's what it looks like and feels like. We see him being heroic out of the costume, diving in, you know, everyone's running away or stopped and stunned and he's running in to the rubble, pulling people out, saving the little kid. We see Batman and Bruce like uh, one in the same sort of thing right here. And then what happens is done very clearly. But again, we weren't given enough prior to this moment for people to digest what was to come afterward. But we see this clear transformation of him going from rescue mode to the girl's mother is up in the burning building. There's nothing he can do to save her. And he's staring up at Superman and Zod in the sky and we watch his face harden. And that is a transformative moment that informs the rest of the film. I think you hit it on the head with that scene. Yeah. The terror of it. Yeah. Like, I have seen the end of Man of Steel, even though I haven't watched all of it. But seeing it from the ground, like, anytime you see those the lasers cutting through the skyscrapers, yeah. like it's going from a moment of, like, nothing so happening, awesome. and then just a bunch of people looking up, and then just a laser just slicing through a building, and then it comes to... That's, that's terrifying. Yeah. It's extremely effective. It didn't really occur to me until you were saying that stuff, Sam, that I don't think that they do a good job of like not showing the characters very much Superman and Zod. And so how disorienting that would be like down on the ground. Yeah. Cause you'd be like, whereas it's like nine 11, boom, here's the stuff happening in this one place. But those guys would be traversing the city like so quickly that it'd be like action yeah. here and then 12 blocks away and then another boom. And it's, it would be so fast in the way that like cities make you feel anyways, because if you're in like a, an actual big city where almost all of the buildings are high rises, then your perspective is so skewed. You're not, yeah. You're not, yeah, you're not in a box, but you can't see around corners and you hardly see the sky. If stuff was just like douche, 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 douche overhead, you'd be, it would only add to the, like, what the fuck is going on? The Godzilla comparison is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't, I'd have to watch it again, but I feel like they don't show the guys a ton. Because it's not about that. Because it's not about it. It's it's about like the on the ground perspective and how crazy that is. And I'm, you don't ben, see Goku and Vegeta fighting. They move too fast. Yeah. They're covering too much ground. <laughs> and Ben already said it, but like I think it's the anime in me that loves the eye lasers mm-hmm. and hardened objects being cut like Swiss cheese is so dope to me. Well, and seeing that in Man of Steel was awesome the first time. Like, holy shit. But seeing it from outside of the building was like, oh my God, that is terrifying. Or the entire thing with Bruce is uh, the guy who works with Bruce or for Bruce in the building. Like, it's a little gratuitous, but it still feels like you feel what he's feeling in that moment of like, he's he's about to be destroyed by whatever this is. Yeah, and 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 honestly, if you're in a situation like that, you don't know what to do. You're going to have the fight or flight battle internally but like a lot of people like the people in the street who just get out of their cars and they're staring you don't know what to do so it seems a little silly to be like what do we do boss you know like what do you mean you get out but like you're not gonna know until you're in a situation like that i think again because they have no idea what to fixate on because you you, okay you do have this like you have this spaceship object doing its thing but all of the other crap that's going on. They can't even, so like when he's in there and he's praying 
and these lasers are going behind him. Like he doesn't even see where the lasers are coming from. Yeah, like, but they are. Yeah, he just yeah. just no basis for anything. Like, yeah, obviously the option is like get out of the building, but also whatever. I mean, that guy. I think that that's sad because that has a real captain of the ship kind of feel. Yes. Like, okay, maybe it is silly to call Bruce, but he shushes everybody out or does his best, and he's the last one there, and he goes down with the ship, and it starts it off in like a very personal way. Yeah. And and basically, my reading of that scene, and over time we would see Warner Brothers react more and more, depending on how people reacted to the last movie. Okay, well, we're going to have Joss Whedon make a really lighthearted Justice League then, because this super dark one is not going to fly. They don't like that, you know. So they keep doing these little shifts. They did the same thing with Suicide Squad, re-editing the movie based on the trailer's reception. You know, and, and and Warner Brothers just changing shit. But this scene, Bruce personifies the backlash to Man of Steel. And it is the filmmakers recognizing, whether they planned it in advance or not, that no, that isn't right. And this is something that Cal is going to have to swallow and learn from. Yeah, it's like what you were saying. It's whether whether they intended to or not but they are doubling down on the message of the first one. Like whether yes. that was just an accidental coincidence of like, Oh yeah, half that city's dead because of that. Mm-hmm. Whether that was just, they kind of forgot that, but they didn't. That is the way to handle it. At the beginning of this movie, it's like, no, it's horrible. And it's terrible. And no one will forget it. And that's going to cause trouble. Yeah. And one of the reasons that Bruce or Batman is the most well-defined character of this movie you know, the plot is very complicated, gets a little muddy in certain places, but Bruce is given such a clear motivation and transformation in the beginning of the movie that I wish the other characters had the benefit of that, of that clarity that um, sets the scene for their arc in that film, you know? Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, that's... That's what I don't like about this movie is character motivations other than Batman's, like you just said, are confusing and their actions in relation to the motivation are confusing. And it's sort of like in Rises, we talked about like how up until this point, this movie is perfect, right? You know, and like this is sort of one of these movies that like from the beginning, I'm just like, fuck, yeah, (laughs) like, oh, they're checking every box, they're getting everything right, you know? And as you wade in, it just gets a little more complicated and a little more complicated, you know? When Bruce runs up and saves that girl from the falling rubble. Yeah. And then he's asking about her mother, and uh, he says, where's your mom? And I just pictured the bail Batman coming out of him. Where's your Where's your mother? Where is she? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if he had been in costume, that would have been much different. That's not how you talk to the kitties, Batman. Now, Lois Lane gets a great introduction because she is still the spitfire from the first movie. Amy Adams was my favorite part of the first movie. Big fan of hers. And I like the way they play her. She's not a damsel in distress. She does need to get saved sometimes, but she is still a very smart, driven... Proactive. Yeah, she's... Everything that character should be 
in a modern yeah. telling, and I love it. You know, her first quotable line is, I'm not a lady, I'm a journalist. You know, with no pause, no hesitation, just like, shut the fuck up. You want to tell your story, I'm here, you know. This scene where the CIA has infiltrated her. Jimmy Olsen being a uh, CIA plant is this movie's My Name is Robin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, just to have that be uh, different. I don't make that Jimmy Olsen. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. Yeah, and um, Luther's men who uh, uh, seem to be KG Beast, maybe, th- that Russian guy. <laughs> Who's in Winter Soldier also. That's funny. Shoot everyone, right? And... What I didn't understand in the theatrical cut was like, well, how are they framing Superman for this? Because we've never seen him with a gun or anything. But in the Ultimate Restored Edition, we see the guy flamethrower everybody and burning all this shit down and some damage that actually Superman could have caused. See, and the way you do that is in the regular version of the movie, you quickly shoot the people and then set them on fire. You have to condense what you have rather than adding in 20 minutes to explain something. No, they didn't add it. They just cut the wrong shit. What's in the theatrical version? They just shoot everyone. You never see the drones coming down. You never see him fly Uh, through the sky at them. You never see the other CIA people out there on the horses. You never see the flamethrowers. It's literally just, they turn and start shooting people. Superman shows up and saves her. And that's the whole scene. You're like, but that's my point is that you walked away from that going like, well, how are they framing him? And so the way to do that is to condense that information that they added in the more stuff into a smaller, more efficient unit rather than adding a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know how what you're saying is different than what they actually did. They cut. Well, my scene is, my, my thought is like instead of having them shoot one, everybody, you just have them quickly go round him up, get him here. And then they just torch him. And that's the scene. But no one wants to see people burn alive. Yeah, you can't, do, you can't do that. I mean, it's. I just mean that you. That's my whole point: is that you have a question that the filmmakers, rather than adding material to answer, you keep saying adding material. When a studio cuts shit out of your movie, and then you get it back later, you're not that's adding. Like, you can't have a five-hour movie, so they're going to cut some stuff. That's my point. So your job as a filmmaker is to. Be efficient in the first place. Okay. Based on what you've told me in the backlash of this movie, I feel like people will think that I am I'm hitting it dead on. When Superman later talks about some stuff that like happened in a town, yeah. and he's like, I didn't do that. Is that the stuff happening at the base? Or I got the impression that that was like a separate town entirely. And yeah, again, he was also being framed for some other massacres. No, it's that. And they don't show it very well. And like once they burn everybody up and they're like leaving there, you see a bunch of women like crying and running up to the soldiers and like, oh, please help us, you know, fucking whatever. They just did a really bad job of setting that scene that is the jump off Uh for the whole fucking movie. And immediately after that, we have the sky cracked open testimony. And, you know, he answers to no one, not even to God. And that whole thing, which later turns out to have been coerced false testimony, that part was also not in the theatrical version. So, like, so many of the crucial driving plot points were just gone or partially shown and effectively neutered i wonder superman comes in with like a dope ass like boom yeah 
then he scoops the guy from behind Lois and drives him through a couple walls. Yeah. And it's not a question of can Superman propel a body through a wall, but I wonder how well a human body can withstand going through multiple walls. Think no, there's a 20-minute scene where he explains that his fists were actually a little further past the body. And he oh, body he's break, okay, he's he breaking the algorithm. Yeah, the studio cut it out. Zack Snyder okay. had an additional eight hours <laughs> that he had to, really well, to know, lay all this out. You don't want to add more material to explain <laughs> the wall breaking then. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would, pers- that would turn a person into jelly. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And the actor who does that testimony mm-hmm. is in Lovecraft Country. Oh, also. Nice. And that's a dope show. So we follow this convoluted moment with another fantastic character introduction. This Batman is introduced much like Bruce was from the ground level, you know, kind of the victim's point of view. We're going in as the cops to the crime scene. We see the Batarang. It's very ominous. We see all these women in a cage, maybe sex traffic or something. And we go upstairs. This man is tied to the radiator and branded. We have this simmering music in the background that's building the tension. The rookie cop looks up and he's fucking like spanning the corner of the ceiling. And like you've walked into a bar and there's an animal hiding. Yeah, exactly. And then like whips out through the fucking roof, kind of like Dick did in uh, the beginning of Black Mirror we just read. Man, seeing him from someone else's perspective is so much more terrifying. It's kind of like what Burton did when he's introduced from the mugger's perspective. That's how it should be. I think that that's true. When we're so familiar with these characters and we're revisiting this stuff so often that, that it's hard to even like put ourselves in the position of this beat cop. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine a world anymore where Batman doesn't exist, but to be these people confronted with this actual person just would make you poop your pants. Even if you know he exists, it's not like you're ever in a dark room alone with him. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, that's the stage for this character, as you're saying, of like, this is the best physical representation of Batman. Yeah. Not just because Affleck is the closest to what I think of Batman, but just that, like having seeing him from that perspective, seeing the way he exits that scene... Yeah. But also I like the idea that they establish in that scene that even though he's been here for 20 years, which we learn later, he's been doing this a long time, they still are like incredulous. Yeah. That's the first time I've ever seen him. I didn't know he was real. He's been doing this for that long and he's still like a I'm nightmare serious. and a mystery. Yeah, mm-hmm. The girls shutting the cage is <laughs> yeah. hilarious to me. I love that. But I do think that the person hiding off focus in the corner of the ceiling was done better in hereditary than it was in this movie. This one looks I didn't see hereditary spoiled it. Oh no. Well, there's a, a really creepy shot like that. This one looks a little cheesy. To me. Cheesy. You're going to make me upset. Non-dairy cheesy. The man uh, who loves Schumacher says this scene is cheesy. Well, gigantic. Hey, He's a very okay. large man to be like, up in that if, corner. If I, if I can defend myself or my position really quickly, if you have a cartoon, boom, you've established that it's a cartoon and it's not really reality. Therefore, anything goes. If you establish to me that a world is like supposed to be pretty real, aside from these like super characters, then I hope that everything you do makes me buy into the fact that that's what you're telling me. 
but doesn't pull you, you away from that. Yes, but if you slip, then your slips are very obvious to me because I'm supposed to buy this shit. If you do stuff that looks cheesy to me, then I will see it. And that's the only time. Something about the way that he looks. He moves so fast out of there, too. Yeah. That's a little like extreme. Yeah, yeah, the up and stuff that doesn't... Yeah. I get what you're saying, but I will counter it with this. I mentioned the Kelly Jones quote about, I don't draw Batman as he is. I draw Batman how people would describe seeing that when they're so fucking terrified, right? Sure. That's what that scene is. That's what we witnessed was their account of what happened, you know? Yeah. I'm um, that. I just thought of it because of this, <laughs> but in Black Mirror, Dick... He's up on the chandelier, and he jumps through the hole in the ceiling. Yeah. But he uses the crowbar to bridge the gap in the hole and then to get out of the hole. And all I can think is, if you like broke and you instantly started falling, how would you propel your hand above a ceiling line if you were falling already? Unless you had like preemptively jumped or jumped exactly when it was happening because you would instantly be below the line and couldn't get your hand above the hole in order to bridge the gap. Yeah, I get there's no explaining it, but also that's just kind of the fun of it, of we've never seen this sort of a, a Batman scene. I had the exact same thought as you when he crawled out. That's when I was like, that's kind of ridiculous. That's awesome, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. there, there is that balance of, because that's why the stuff, why I complain about the stuff at the end, the stuff at the end is neat, but it becomes such a complete cartoon that now it no longer feels connected to the real stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like that scene of him escaping there, to me, still felt balanced in this yeah. this version of Batman. I love the dude almost shooting the other dude. He's yeah. so shook up that he almost blasts his buddy. <laughs> then we have the new Batcave. We don't have a whole Lucius Fox, here's your technology scene, but just in passing, we walk by Alfred testing the voice changer in the cowl, which is cool. It explains a lot, wastes no time, which is not something this movie always does. <laughs> they are so efficient with the scenes I want to see more of. Yes. They're so gratuitous. <laughs> I want to see less of them. But you're right, though. He, they instantly do the whole um, explain the voice, explain the eye makeup. Yep. They do it in passing. Like, cool, he's messing with it. It exists. Move on. Exactly. And I like this Alfred, too. Yeah. Jeremy so Irons just, is great. It needs, again, another recognition for how good the cast is. Not just the cast, because they're all excellent actors, but the casting, the choice of actors for these good, characters. Good picks. And it's weird because their age difference isn't significant, but mm. his performance is so good that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. We also get the first time ever seeing the Robin suit in a memorial. Which I appreciate. So we know that that shit happened in this version. I'm interested to see what Leto does in this Justice League because what I had heard was that the reason he was so... There's 40 minutes of him killing Robin with a crowbar. Well, no, really cool. What, well, what I had heard... It's like when, a rap video. When Suicide Squad... With gold chains and bitches. When Suicide Squad came out, what I had heard was that he had the fake teeth because there was supposed to be some kind of flashback that showed what happened to Robin and that he almost went off the rails in beating the fuck out of him for that and that he had no teeth. I don't know if it was David Ayer or Zack Snyder or somebody uh, alluded to that. 
Which, we're just trying to reconcile like oh fuck jared showed up with those teeth how are we gonna <laughs> are we gonna write this into the story uh, he's got a grill now people want an explanation let's add more material <laughs> and back to the bat cave i absolutely love the one percent chance monologue trying to rationalize his crusade with alfred and going like so you're gonna get this mineral and destroy it destroy it and like Affleck's intensity in this movie is fucking awesome to me. Just like if we have even a 1% chance, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And um, just, the, I don't know. He does so much with his face in this movie, whether it's that scene in Metropolis looking up or whether it's when he's opening those letters while he's watching the Capitol hearing. It's like, wait, why does this fucking guy never get those checks? And like, oh, he got the checks. Here they are. And he's looking at them. You know, and just like you, he's, yeah, he's an excellent actor, seething all the time, just on edge, which is very much that Frank Miller Batman is, you know, that one's a little more sadistic, I feel like, than this one is just a little bit more consumed. Yeah, I wish that Ben was more of a giggler. <laughs> ben Affleck, not me. Yeah, Ben Affleck. I, yeah. Wish, okay. yeah, I wish that Ben Affleck was more of a giggler, though. Hey, so <laughs> Alfred, yeah. Well, as you're describing that, too, I mean, I like that a lot because that really does work with the character. If you think about him, like this moment of extreme powerlessness as a child Mm -hmm. totally warped him to the point where his whole life he was consumed with being as powerful as possible. Yeah. And it's worked pretty well. And now he's again confronted with the same situation of he is completely powerless. And just how like that's my complaint a little bit where some of their actions, both Batman and Superman later, seem irrational to their goal. Yeah. whatever their goals are. But I can see a little bit with him of like being back in that place of I have no power and something bad's going to happen and I have to get the edge or I have to get the advantage yeah. to not feel this way. And his is so well defined that it's a shame that Lex's motivation is practically identical, but they don't lay it out as well. And we need to just talk about this reimagining of of his character and Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal. But the parallel of what he says at the library benefit about knowledge is power, like knowledge without power is paradoxical and all this stuff. And here is this guy who has this inherited wealth, completely powerful, smartest guy in the room, has everything you could ever want, all the influence, you know, all the resources and then this other thing comes who has these unworldly powers, who has the adulation of many. He has all these things that he can never have. He has no control from a man who's used to always having control. And he makes a target out of this person. It's like an inferiority complex. Exactly. Yeah. I got all that. I liked all the motivation. I, I, I didn't need any more of that. My biggest issue with it, and I thought about it when I was watching it, in the same way of like, well, it's okay to do something different. It's okay to do something different with the character and look at them differently. But I just kind of fundamentally, to me, that seems like a both a, an extreme understanding of Lex Luthor. It's like, that's why he hates Superman is for that exact reason. Yeah, He's nothing in comparison to him. He has no power. But this version of Lex Luthor in terms of the way he acts and the way he talks, where he like stutters and he it's like he confuses himself and he's awkward. It 
feels like a more extreme Mark Zuckerberg from the social network and like Jim Carrey's Riddler and a little bit of different versions of the Joker all mixed together, which I just don't like for Lex Luthor. It doesn't work. I totally respect that. I understand why people don't want this when we've seen all these animated versions. We've seen the Gene Hackman version. We we see this guy in a much more controlled, traditional sort of, you know, 80s movie villain sort of power. I get that. That's what Lex Luthor should be. Yet, again, much like Superman putting that character in today's world, who are the billionaires of our generation? They are the anti-social Silicon Valley weirdos who grew up tinkering in their fucking basements and are not known for their social skills and their political savvy. They are introverts who are eccentric and way more irresponsible and powerful than they should be. That's a choice, and I get that it's a commentary on that, but I'm sure there are still young billionaires who are like 80s super super villain guys. For sure, I- yeah. And I get it, but like, again, when we see him for the first time, he is in his you know, Google headquarters, the big glass building in the basketball court and all that, and they are creating that environment of this is a facebook google type and personally i thought that was more effective than giving us the max in wonder woman 84 like old-fashioned stereotypical villain i don't because to me the the fund i mean it's it's the same kind of beat but the fundamental thing about lex Luthor is that he was legitimately strong and powerful before superman and so making him this like weird, neurotic, awkward person is counter to the character. But we also see him in moments of control and in moments of putting up his facade, right? But he's still like an awkward, neurotic and, weirdo. I just don't like, yeah, okay. I don't like that for the character. It's definitely odd, especially the first one or two times that you see it, but uh, it definitely works for me. I always thought that Lex Luthor was kind of like Kingpin without Mm -hmm. the size. Kingpin was more of a criminal mastermind, less like scientific criminal mastermind. But then Kingpin also had just like his size and his muscle also to his benefit. So that's just kind of how I always pictured Luthor was just uh, a really intelligent, business savvy, straightforward talker. I've only watched this movie twice now. The first time I thought that this take on Luther was interesting and different, and this time I liked it less. And but I mostly attribute it to less about the character itself and more about I get agitated by agitated people, <laughs> yeah. and so I and so I had a hard time watching it. It's just off-putting to me. Like I'll pick up on people's ticks, uh, just yeah, just their energy and stuff. And so if a person, yeah, if a person feels agitated to me i end up feeling like that um by default and so watching him was not super pleasant to me uncomfortable yeah i get that and i guess my final thought on that subject would just be that think of who plays the president in every movie and tv show ever made like 
shake it up once in a while, please. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, I like it. My it's- final thought is that no, you're wrong. <laughs> so coming out of that, we have him in this montage with uh, Zod's body and that awesome theme song when he's walking into the ship he does the the thing that everyone hated the jolly rancher move where he pushes it into the senator's mouth right i was immediately aroused i don't know why they hated that i liken that very much to tom hardy's resting a hand on daggett's shoulder and saying do you feel in charge? It's it's a total power move. If you look at this squirrely little weirdo, and yet this elected official has to not only sit there and do what he wants, but he's going to fucking practically baby bird the dude, and he allows it. This Mitch McConnell-looking motherfucker allows him to put food in his mouth by force. And then still gives him what he wants. And so that to me shows like, yeah, this dude has a lot of clout. Even if he doesn't look like it. Yeah, I want more of that. More of that kind of stuff. Yeah. More hard candy. More sucking hard candy. (laughs) Weird, creepy sexual energy, yes. That's the kind of stuff that I'm not agitated by. Those kind of uh, of stuff will settle me. Yeah, that's what I want. There's a little Lex misstep here where... The crippled guy who lost his legs in the beginning. Differently abled, you son of a bitch. Hey, it's in the Bible. Yeah, dude, I, I resent that. Can't what? be that bad. <laughs> we should, can the Batman addicts review the Bible? It's like, yes. <laughs> That'll be our longest episode yet. No, Bible God. fanatic. That's the, the, that's the podcast. I wanna, yeah, yeah. I want to read the Bible, the ultimate edition. No offense. When they bail this guy out for uh, defacing... The Superman monument, right? Lex is waiting in this dude's apartment and he turns around with his fancy new wheelchair and says, when asked, what do you want? I want to help you stand for something. He says this to a man with no legs. I just thought that was a terrible line. My dad would be like, <laughs> and then he would lean over and put a Jolly Rancher in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's a Joker line. That's a Joker line, and he was saying it yeah. seriously. Yeah, I don't like this version of the character. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. So let's move ahead. We have the weird Mandingo fight scene where. Uh, Bruce whispers in his fighter's ear and tells him how to take out his opponent. And no, no, he just said, I'm so aroused right now. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And that pumped the guy up. He's like, if you uh, win, I'll give you $5 million, you know. I still haven't finished it. The movie? <laughs> no, not this. No, that's my preface to the rest of the statement. No. Amber and I are watching Django for the first time. and Oh, it's so hard to watch. We've watched some of it, but it's long and like, man, I need to break these things up into... But I could, this. I could watch a three-hour Quentin Tarantino movie because the boring stuff in that is the most exciting stuff. Uh, it's still all about the time frame to me. It's literally just, just just literally sitting and watching something for multiple hours I cannot do. Yeah, no, uh, I, I feel the same way on a weeknight. I'm never uh, like that. I sit on the couch like six hours every night. I know, dude. You're a, no, so you're do a, I. You're I don't want to yeah. imply that I do something different. I just need to break it up. 
<laughs> so I feel like some kind of control over things. Uh, I need to do different versions of sitting on my bottom. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Sam, you're incredible at sitting at your butt. Um, and just consuming one thing, doing yeah. one thing. Yeah. Uh, but that, but watching that fight made me think of the dudes fighting in front of the fireplace and Django. And yeah, like Sam's a man dingo fights. Yeah, it's terrible. Bruce is there and like he's so analyzed the other guy that he's like, Every time he goes in for the haymaker, he drops his left hand. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. Like, Get him in the kidneys, brah. Punch him more than he punches you. That's my tip. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I got something smart for you. So Bruce takes that moment, and he manages to clone the Russian's phone so he can get information about this uh, white Portuguese that he's chasing. And then Holly Hunter, Senator Finch, who I love Holly Hunter. She's brilliant. Visits Lex Luthor. I mean, they they take the wrong line from this, the Granny's Peach Tea, but the line right before it, take a weapon of assassination and call it a deterrent. You know, Uh I really like her and the way that she sees through the veneer and she's not taking his shit. This is the person who is also holding Superman accountable. And so she needs to be a person with a real spine and a moral compass, and I like that. Yeah, her little monologue to him is badass. Agreed. Uh, At the same time, Perry gives Clark an invitation for Luther's benefit. Uh, Too bad there wasn't a, like, I don't want to go to that. And then Alfred was like, too bad. You already RSVP. (laughs) I prepared your clothes. Well, that's yeah, yeah. Your teeth. that's <laughs> like he in. Um, it up and he's like, ah, that, that'd be a good Easter egg. That was in uh, Batman Returns, you know, where he ripped it up, and then Bruce goes, "Well, Selena Kyle might be there," and so Alfred yeah. like makes a big scene of putting the ripped pages back together. So this is the second one. We just had Black Mirror, where there's a little like pseudo man bat cameo. And there's another one right here where Bruce, prior to getting his Lex Luthor invitation, he has a nightmare where he's in the mausoleum there. And this big-ass CGI bat thing breaks through. I'm going to be honest, I startle easily at films. And in the theater, uh, my whole body jumped. I was crying. I I can't even visualize what you're talking about. I don't even remember that scene. So when he wakes up, he's like got bottles of alcohol right next to him on the nightstand um it was Batman. yeah about Batman? yeah bruce yeah. bruce okay. was having a, a a dream at his parents grave where the stone is bleeding and he looks closer at it and then giant bat bursts through and bites him or yeah. something okay yeah but see i remember the bleeding grave that stands out to me more than i still can't picture the bat but i see the, the bleeding grave that was effective yeah it scared the shit out, out of me <laughs> In the first of three nights of watching this movie, <laughs> in the midst of the complete slog that it was for me, of all just like this exposition that's kind of dull and like not particularly exciting writing or like unique, there's a scene of this kind of stuff in Lois Lane and Clark Kent's bathroom and she's naked in the bathroom. And I just thought, that's fucking a bullshit cheap move to have <laughs> naked Amy Adams delivering exposition because I'm going to pay attention but it's still bad, and I don't uh-huh. appreciate being manipulated like that. That's well, and they give you the shirtless Henry Cavill, too, as he climbs in with her. Yeah, he's built. It's just, no, it's not my thing. But I do have I, a thought of, like, why can't it be the other way? Why can't we start with him naked in the bathroom, and then the scene ends with just 
full frontal nudity, her taking her shirt off on him. And then we go to the next scene. But it's just that double standard, Hollywood double standard, every chance they get. <laughs> In a scene like that, I want to be like, fuck yeah, bathtub humping. And then all I can think is like, man, that water damage is going to be so extensive. <laughs> like every part of my construction brain is like, you might be Superman, but like that drywall is going to be so fucked up. Uh, yeah. after this. <laughs> I think they lampshaded in the scene. Doesn't somebody say like the water's getting everywhere? And I had that thought of like yeah. being Superman isn't going to make that any easier yeah. to clean or replace. Well, You'll do it faster, but it's still a hassle. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be so like the leaky roof floor. It's going to be so bad. Also, anytime that there's like, I don't want to go there, but anytime that there's like a Superman Lois Lane, like. Superman would just wreck the vagina. That's just the craziest. <laughs> like, yeah. there'd be so much dick restraint on his part that I can't even fathom it. It's impossible. Lois could never have Superman's baby. Do you think her fallopian tubes could handle his sperm? I guarantee he blows a load like a shotgun right through her back. What about her womb? Do you think it's strong enough to carry his child? Sure, why not? He's an alien, for Christ's sake. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. If Lois gets a tan, the kid could kick right through her stomach. Only someone like Wonder Woman has a strong enough uterus to carry his kid. The only way he could bang regular chicks is with a kryptonite condom. That would kill him. I even had a non-joke version of that thought at the end of that scene when you see it from his back and she's got her hands around him and she's like embracing him and her mm -hmm. fingers are making indentations in his skin. Oh. And I just had the thought of like, wouldn't that... Wouldn't that never happen? It yeah. probably just wouldn't happen. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, ben, you would probably like, there is a clip from, I believe, the Graham Norton show where she says something about wearing these, like, pasties under the water. Like, Cavill said something about how, like, yeah, they weren't working very well. Or, like, they, they were coming off or, or <laughs> something. I, I can't remember, but it's, it's worth a watch. Oh, yeah, so then at the library event here, Alfred is in Bruce's ear walking him through the layout, right, so he can try to get his information. And Bruce is putting on his best Playboy Kevin Conroy version. Asshole. Real smug. And Clark hears what's happening and is kind of like, all right, I'm going to keep an eye on this dude. Then we get this great, you know, they used it in the trailer, but... Just Lex saying like, wow, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. I love bringing people together. And just like, I could see from Ben's face, he doesn't like this, but... This is my face. I do like this scene. Oh, okay. You're this just... is a version of the boring stuff that I like. That's a great scene. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And when he gives him a little smack and like, ooh, wow, do not pick a fight with this person. You know, just all that little shit that the characters don't know that we know. I was making a face because I was thinking of there's a bit from the Jimmy Kimmel show. Yes, where he yes. That, where he walks, he's like, wait a minute. Oh, Wait, you're Batman. You know, <laughs> wait, take these glasses off. Look, Superman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, hey, everybody, look. It's Batman, <laughs> Superman. <laughs> yeah, that I was like that awesome. Affleck gets to go in and out of like party boy socialite, pretending like he's drunk when he's planting the thing. Yeah. And Where's then the bathroom? just being himself to Alfred all in the same thing. Because obviously we've seen Bale like pretend to be drunk and, and like schmooze with the peeps and stuff. And he just turns it on and off, too. I mean, it's just right there, stop yeah, yeah. and go. Totally. It's like back and forth quickly. And I really like, this would be part of my prose list, the early on interactions between him and Clark, where 
they don't know who the other person is, mm-hmm. and yet they're like solidifying their contrary stances on these characters. Yeah, yeah, but like Superman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I th- I think that that early on is really tight. I like that. You know, there's some humor in that of. Do I own this one or is that the other one? But but when he yeah, says, yeah, funny joke. but when he he really gets serious for a second and kind of nails him, he's like, Daily Planet, isn't that a little hypocritical? When every time your hero rescues a kitten from a tree, you write a puff piece editorial, you know, and he just like he uh-huh. he acts as if he doesn't know who he is and uh-huh. like he's above it, and then when he's pressed. Bruce Wayne is like a super vindictive and he remembers everything. Yeah, but he's but he's also just like, look, don't make me sun you here. He made a note of every time they wrote a good story about him and every time he's like, I'm going to fucking bring it up when I get the chance. <laughs> All the puff, piece, the puff piece checklist. I also like that scene too because the shot of them in profile, and I don't know how much of it is just the realities of those actors or how much of it is Henry Cavill doing like the Christopher Reeves making himself smaller. But you see Ben Affleck, at least there, looks like two or three inches taller than him. Ben's like 6'4". He's huge. Yeah, well, usually, but every comic book iteration, and it kind of doesn't make sense because there's no reason Superman couldn't be shorter, but he's always big or a little bigger than Batman. So I just Uh thought that was kind of neat because you don't normally see that. Yeah, those guys head-to-head is great, and we also get the introduction of Diana Prince, who is never actually named in this movie, but we see this kind of sultry, smoky version of Gal pop in and out here and with no words at all grab his little hard drive device and steal his car and he's <laughs> grab his little hard she's drive. Catwoman. She's yeah, Catwoman. Yeah, yeah. She kind of is like Catwoman in the in that scene. She really is. She looks pretty great. And at the same yeah. time, while she's that's as tall as Ben Affleck. Yeah. And while that's happening, Clark is removed from the situation because we see him distracted by this fatal fire happening in Juarez or whatever. It's like he's removed from that little altercation, so when she shows up later, he's like, who the fuck is that? And that's also where he gets his first inkling. Maybe he just realizes that Bruce Wayne is Batman. He hears mm-hmm. Alfred talking to him over the earpiece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really like everything about that scene. The follow-up with that fire rescue scene is very cool to me. The Jesus Savior sort of, like, Everyone yeah. reaching out. Because of the slow-mo, because of the lighting, and just that it's like a, a cool cinematic moment, but then also because of the implication, you know? Like, our planet is full of people who can't prove anything after death, but would, like, stake their entire lives on it. Yeah. And here's those same people faced with the embodiment of possibly their like belief system minus the the creation aspect but a person who is capable of all of the things that a god would be capable of and so they're like well that's like borderline worship shit yeah because it's kind of like what's the difference i mean yes yeah he is a god yeah so some of the plot pieces kind of come together after this we have lois discovering that the bullet from nairobi is actually from lexcorp the branded bat victim from earlier being released into gen pop and him begging not to be with everyone. He wants to be isolated and solitary and saying like, you know what they do to people with this brand that was cut out of the theatrical and seeing that uh, the Russian actually pays someone off to kill him. 
again, really underscores that idea that they're being played because prior to that, it just seems like Bruce knows and fuck them and that's it. Yeah, it's just like a you'll you'll never forget that I did this. Not like I'm sending you to jail so they'll kill you kind of thing. Yeah, and uh-huh. so now it's like, okay, yeah, but we're going to make sure those people do get killed and we're going to send proof to make sure that Clark gets these anonymous letters and these photos, you know. I like in that scene, Perry walks up and says, nobody cares about Clark Kent taking on the Batman. You know, it's just another one of those little uh, kind of Lex Luthor lines. A lot of the stuff in this movie like that and the visual stuff is like trailer bait to me. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it's just like things perfectly designed to be cut and like, that's cool. Spliced. It's also the kind of thing, though, that in a movie that's very dark and dour, that I love those little meta jokes for the audience. Um, that's the whole reason we're here is Clark Kent versus Batman. <laughs> yeah, it livens it up a little bit. I like Lawrence Fishburne as Perry yeah. also because I've just seen so many Lawrence Fishburne things where he's like fairly flat that I liked him as this like kind of pumped up dude spouting random headlines and I like his inflection a lot. You watched at least a little bit of Hannibal, didn't you? Um, yeah, with Amber. To me, this seems like his Jack Crawford where he's super animated and he's constantly fucking yelling at people <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> Just like yeah, shouting yeah. at people. The ass, Lois. Yeah, versus like The Matrix or um, John Wick or something like that. Boys and I just like, yeah, you know, and I just like, ah, cool, you have like a deep voice and it's kind of flat, but I like him pumped up and shouting commands and cutting down Superman. <laughs> and also that's one cool thing about Superman all the time too is that like his attempt to be less than he is all the time. You know, how many times have we worked for like shitty bosses or something if you were <laughs> Superman? But like that is it. <laughs> just at the end. Uh, that dude I'm going to laser this building in half. And you're all <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a shitty piece, Clark. But like that's it. You know, one of my favorite elements of this movie that I never really considered before is the Daily Planet stuff. Because I love the casting, again, of Amy and of Lawrence from Man of Steel, but Clark was not a journalist in the first movie. It's the very end of the movie that he gets a job at the Daily Planet. And so this movie gives him some reporting and investigating to do in parallel with not together with, but in parallel with Lois. And I like that. I like a detective story. I like a newspaper investigation. I like all those kinds of things on film. And it's a funny dynamic too, between the two of them. Obviously she would be like the senior in regards to like the company status, but she's like negotiating seats on an airplane. And Clark is like getting like, you need to go report on AYSO soccer. And, uh, <laughs> And also like that other gal too that that she gets more screen time than other people but I don't think it's like Perry's assistant is just like another girl at the paper and she just adds extra that I like. So after this, Bruce finds Diana. He thinks he's showing off. This knife on display is a forgery and the real one hangs over the bed and she like finishes his fucking sentence showing that not only is she elusive and he 
doesn't really understand her, but she's an intellectual match. I do think that's a little corny, but it's not this movie's fault. It's Wonder Woman's fault that they make her like an antiquities expert, which makes sense. And I guess that maybe that's what she is in the comics. I haven't read a lot of Wonder Woman, but it would be nice if she just knew that stuff because she knows stuff instead of like, that's my job. I know antiques and antiquities. I, I like that it is like that. You know, Bruce is like, I inherited all this money, so this is where I fit into the world. But she like came from a island full of ladies, and she needs to do her superhero shit, but also needs to fit into the world. So she's like, a, has a job. Yeah, I'm gonna work my way up. In yeah, the, and also it, it adds an element of like Indiana Jonesness to me that mm-hmm. she is familiar with. She so, knows all this stuff. It's part yeah, of her so, heritage. Yeah, exactly. So she she actually knows shit, and I think that it's kind of cool because then it adds this also historic element to stuff. Well, and also what they do with Clark at the planet is not what they've done with him in previous films where they make Lois, the Pulitzer prize winner and him, the kind of bumbling idiot. They give him shit assignments and stuff, but he still is a serious journalist and his cover does not mean that he cannot be intelligent and that he cannot be trying to actually fight for the same goal that Superman has, which is pretty cool that he can kind of use both of those in the same way that Bruce does. Like, well, how is Batman going to get into, you know, Lex Luthor's charity is like, well, Batman doesn't have to Bruce Wayne can go, you know, I like the way that they link the secret identity a little bit more. They're not so, at odds with each other and they don't demean. It's, it's not just Superman is his job. And, and then but they don't, just, they don't demean his character, you uh, know, by like, Oh, this is how I view you humans is like, I gotta be an idiot to fit in, you know, which I admire about the original films. I think that's an endearing quality, but it doesn't need to be that way in this one. And I, I like that they treat him with more respect. Superman doesn't have any of the Batman stuff of like, which one is the real one? Yeah. It's like, they're both me. I'm both these people. Exactly. I would think that despite how quickly he can fly around between normal life, global shit going on and fictional <clears throat> supervillain stuff that Superman would have like a full-time job in just fighting baddies. Yeah, you should. You know, people like uh, creating job security by taking too long in a, in, a, in a project or something like that. I feel like that's kind of what Superman is doing. Like, dude, you could fix this shit, like, pretty quickly. He just doesn't want to or something. He'd rather, like, twiddle his thumbs and, and write puff pieces. Yeah, well, you, you, I mean, he was created in a bubblegum world. He's a bubblegum character. Yeah, there you go. That's kind of like a, a weird implication of it that's like, I mean, there's millions of versions of that where they're like, a Saturday morning breakfast cereal that a comic where it's like, actually you'd be better served if you just drove this giant hamster wheel and provided unlimited energy. It's <laughs> <for the entire laughs> yeah. a better use of your power. Like you'd alleviate way more suffering if you just did that. <laughs> so we have to talk about the nightmare scene. I recently heard probably the best analysis of this scene in that it's fucking awesome. And it sets up the future in Justice League. But it does not help this story. And it would be better suited as like a mid or post credits 
scene. You're talking about looking at the computer files? Yeah, but like the nightmare with a K where he's wearing the duster and the parademons. Yeah, apocalypse, desert city. completely what I was saying with trailer bait. Yeah. For what it does for the story, it does basically nothing. It looks awesome. It's cool. It's intended to set up what we're going to see in Justice League because that actually becomes a reality. But it doesn't add anything to this story by itself, you yeah. know? But if you saw that in a trailer like I did, you'd be like, that's cool. I can't wait to see how the story ends up there in this movie. Yeah. It's like, oh, it than, doesn't. Other than Bruce is like very wary of what Superman's presence means in our world. And yes. So this nightmare imaginary scenario is him like taking those thoughts to the far end. This is exactly why I need to do what I need to do because I could end up wearing a trench coat in the desert and I need to fuck this fool up. I don't want to use a gun. I'm just shooting people constantly. He's going to laser beam my buddies and I can't have that. That's true, though. That's kind of like those... uh, You've seen those tweets that are like, this is the world that liberals want you to live in. You know, it's like... Yeah. (laughs) He's just picturing, like, how far could this go if allowed to... Yeah. Nobody's checking Bruce on his imagination, and so this is like his just weird jack-off apocalypse Except, except it's also not. It's also an actual vision of a possible future from Flash. Yeah, which becomes the problem of like, you know what? This doesn't help right now. I like that he, in a night in a dream, he's knocked unconscious. He wakes up in the dream to then wake up and then wake up again. But that's just like the novelty of yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. that's Black it's Mirror. Like the no legs, yeah, the double nightmare. But the character design is dope. I love the militant Superman, like Nazi arm patches. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the trench coat. I love actually getting to see Batman use a gun because Batman uses guns in this shit. And I love. Superman laser beaming chained up people like a gangster. He just <laughs> walks in, he laser beams the guys, and then he talks to Batman. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rad scene. Yeah, he's a real thug. So after this, we get a uh, a scene I feel like is out of order in that Perry says, Where is Kent? Where does he go? So he clicks his heels and goes back to Kansas or whatever. Which doesn't make sense because Metropolis is in Kansas. Shut right there. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Not this again. It's located right on Lake Kansas. <laughs> so this happens right before the uh, sniper rifle tracking device and Batmobile sequence, right? But right after that happens, the next time we see Clark is with Martha Kent on the farm. So I'm like, why the fuck didn't that line lead into that scene? Where he's back in Kansas. That would be so much more appropriate. But anyway, Batmobile sequence. This is where a lot of people have issues because a lot of motherfuckers get blown up, run over, shot. He takes cars and throws them at other cars. And personally, for me, this is the best shit because every Batman movie should have at least 10% more Batmobile action, in my opinion. 10% 10% more shooting people till they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> as, it, as the inventor of the 
trifecta, the Batman trifecta, mm. I think it's worth noting that nowhere in in there did I say that not killing people is fundamental to Batman. Mm. <laughs> it's fundamental to modern Batman, and it's usually is it's like the crux of a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, you won't cross that line, but it doesn't have to be. And this Batman is just like a more extreme version of the Dark Knight Returns Batman, where he's like that guy doesn't kill people, but he does like paralyze them for life and beat them half to death. So this guy's just a little bit further. He's like, yeah, I kill people. This, I know, whatever. <laughs> this <laughs> movie is one I line do. short of being Dark Knight Returns because he never says rubber bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is more honest. It's much more honest. Yep. My guess is that somebody created Batman and intended like a certain kind of compass in him in the past, but they weren't creating the kind of comic that he could become necessarily. So then somebody took their intention and their creation and was like, oh, let's create some like tension in this character and let's kind of create like a high ground, but it's a slippery high ground. It's and it's a challenge. It's always yeah, a challenge exactly. to him. It's, yeah, it's, it's like something for him to like, let's create restraint and stuff like that. But that's like in the hands of writers who were interpreting some of these previous stuff, but it's not hard at all to see like if Superman fought an incredibly strong foe, he would match them, attempt to match them in power. But with a bank robber, he would not. He would give him the pinky flick. And <laughs> Batman, I feel like, in a very human way, would do the opposite because he is a man, but he's like, this guy is doing X. This is how I punish him. This guy, though, is a hardened criminal and maybe he deserves to die. So somebody at some point said that Batman doesn't shoot people, but I think that Batman totally could shoot people because that seems like the kind of dude he is. He's like, I'm trying to clean the streets no matter the cost, and these guys deserve it, so sometimes I shoot these fools. Two things that come to mind when you say that. The first one is that why he gets a pass from Gordon and the police is because he's effective, but he doesn't kill people. And that's kind of the whole idea of like the justice system and like arguing against the death penalty or something like that is that even if there are people that maybe are so bad you should just kill them the idea is that you good people don't do that yeah like if it comes up when you're defending yourself that's one thing but you don't kill people that just resolve the problem yeah Uh and so that's kind of like in modern Mm -hmm. batman and traditional batman what makes the character work is that people respect him because he's so good and he's so skilled that he doesn't cross that line that otherwise if you just go out and kill people like now you are a bad guy. Even if you're killing the right people, you're a bad guy. You have to embody that thing. Yeah, that he doesn't cross that line. But then also, as you were saying that, I thought too, like, that's really interesting because the whole reason Superman is against him is because he's branding these people and he's just a little too extreme. Like, he doesn't need any of that shit. He just shot all these people and ran all this stuff over. Like, that could be (laughs) the reason why you have a problem with him. He just killed a bunch of people right now. But that movie doesn't look at any of that. Well, I think that that is one of those things that suffers for being a sequel that the main character was not in the previous movie. You know, again, like it's a, we are seeing this Batman late and grizzled, but more than that, he is afraid, he is obsessed, and he's off the rails. And so what we are seeing I believe is out of character for who this man was and how he conducted himself. I mean, you're talking about they were mad at him for branding people and doing all this shit, 
They weren't mad at him for machine gunning people with the Batmobile? No, because I don't think he was doing that before. And they don't really, they leave it sort of ambiguous, you know? But, I mean, as someone who grew up on the Michael Keaton Batman. Oh, I know. I've heard. That's not the end of the world. Shut your fucking mouth. That's not a deal breaker for me. But this is a product of him losing it a bit. I agree. If they just had another hour and a half, two hours, they could really tell the story they wanted to tell. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. Your rationalization makes sense, but I don't think the movie conveys any of that. It does. It's not just because they didn't have another movie to set it up. I just saw him killing people and it was cool. I didn't see any amount of like, he's gone too far. That's a little extreme. It's just like, no, there's there's no commentary on his actions at that time. I think where it comes into play is later in the Martha scene, because that time we see him not in a defensive position, but about to commit a premeditated murder and the realization of like, just wait, what the fuck? How did it get this far? You know? And so I, I think that there's enough for me to infer that from the information I have even though it's not an explicit plot point. I think that's more of you. That's just yeah, that's your, my, that's, your brain being able to put it together. That's how I read it. Yeah, for sure. I think that one of the biggest visual cues too is that this Batman has stubble and his stubble also shows that he will kill people because <laughs> that's, the that's how far has he is stubble. down the line. You know, that's, that's the kind of hardened Batman that he is. He, like, <laughs> he's not silky smooth all the time. He's grizzled and stubbly and he's a murderer. He just goes over with the clippers. He's not shaven. Yeah, yeah. No, it's because he's been up for days, man. <laughs> the dark detective. Uh, interpret it how you want to, but stubble equals uh, killer. So one more thing on the Batmobile scene. Midnight tonight, Bat Signal's retired. You just killed all those people. That was a bit much. Uh, and also, just for the sake of like a movie being an action movie, like where would the guns be and where would the explosions be if he didn't get to like shoot shit and blow up shit and have like a Batman car chase? Uh, you know, maybe it's the other like, guys doing it, or it's him disabling stuff. Mm, I don't like you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, I don't mind this Batman killing people. That is the strength of this movie is all these cool set pieces. Yeah. It's just the connective framework I don't think works all that well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like the pulling the other car like <laughs> attached to the back and like and moving it throwing it. So yeah, good. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, all of that is very cool. One of my favorite things about this scene is that we see the Batmobile doing incredible things. I mean, he's going through brick walls. He's driving through buildings, <laughs> goes through this giant ship, slinging yeah. cars all around, doing all this crazy shit. And I love that we see it do all these phenomenal things. And then it, it comes around the corner and yeah. bounces off Superman like a fucking bumper car. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was awesome. Like, <laughs> he doesn't move him at all. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just flies so far in the other direction. <laughs> Sideways, that- even. <laughs> yeah, that that stuff is like, like Ben's talking about with um, scratching his back or something. Like those things are like so otherworldly and so like unfathomable to us. Like that is to say that normal physics do not apply yeah. to Superman. And like that's so surreal. Like it's funny that you would think that you know what's usually eye catching is 
atomic bomb explosions and the fact that they level huge areas or, you know, what looks incredibly surreal and just super weird is something impacting something else and have one be totally undamaged and the <laughs> other one be just totally demolished. And the whole thing, the, the rounding the corner, the... He kind of looks at him for a second. Yeah, like the headlights. Yeah, like him. the headlights and the fact that you like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're they're looking at each other's eyeballs as he rounds the corner and then just boom, and he's totally spun out. But yeah, just you know, that's one thing that makes Superman like so mental is like if you ever watch videos on the internet of like machines doing machine stuff, like this is this is a machine squashing cars, and this is like one of those grinders and you just throw stuff into the grinders and how quickly it like eats these things up that's the extent of superman's power like everything to him is like smushing tofu with your fingers and (laughs) to punch superman would hurt you instead i didn't even think about it in terms of that scene of how well that how well that works of having seen it just do all that awesome stuff to then just be stopped dead right after that yeah Yeah. that's that's really cool dope boom well and I'm glad you said that about punching him because the same technique is applied in their confrontation later, which is one of the best parts of that fight. Wait, save it. Okay, we'll save it. So next we have uh, I, the... I do have one thing to say about that, though. In the part where he runs the car into him and then oh, he wrecks okay. his car. One, how it looks. Two, how badass it is on Batman's part that he tears the lid off the Batmobile and Batman is like, holy shit. But also that he stands up to him immediately. He yeah. stands up in his seat like, this guy could totally wreck me. Still, I'm going to be a badass. So one, he's how it looks. Just, man with no yeah, fear. Yeah, he's blind. And that's why he'll do it. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, that, that it looks so cool, just like a profile to profile shot. But that he stands up to him in that moment. But I don't get why Batman was pursuing that vehicle for the right reasons. Superman impedes him, but they don't duke it out right there. He just leaves Batman where he is. And why wouldn't Superman pursue, unless he was just totally unaware of what was yeah, going on, why didn't he pursue the vehicle? I don't think he's aware of the cargo. The because, yeah, no. because you said that Batman is pursuing them for the right reasons. Batman is pursuing them to take that so he can kill Superman. He's not, <laughs> there's nothing altruistic about what he's doing. He's but just, the idea that like, they're both going after the criminals. Yeah, uh, Superman yeah, isn't say, even aware of that. He's just like, Batman is up to this shenanigans. Yeah. I'm just saying I those are bad him. guys. Yeah, those yeah. are bad guys, and Batman is trying to take out the baddies. Yeah, this scene is just Bruno Nazi tits when <laughs> Batman is I wish. Batman is duking it out in the streets, <laughs> and Superman shows up and is like, "Yo, this Stop ends." Doing this, you know? Don't bra. Okay. And and you, ba- look at all this. Private property that you destroyed here. Yeah, you're selfish. You need to stop. He's like Batman devastation fund, dude. White Knight, man. <laughs> Come on. I'll cover it. So after this, the capital scene in the Ultimate Edition is so much better because the witness from Nairobi has confessed to Senator Finch that it was all a ruse. Look, they had you know whatever leverage on me and. They gave me a script. So she's walking into the hearing as she runs into Lex Luthor, explaining what she just learned. Saying like, okay, this whole thing is a bunch of shit. And then Lex pops out. And now we understand with utmost clarity 
why Lex is doing what he's doing, right? They go in, the fucking general confirms to Lois that the bullet was from Lex Corp. You know, we're like seeing all this shit come together. Superman shows up. Everything goes up in flames. Another thing that we see here that was not in the theatrical cut was Superman rescuing people, pulling them out of the building, helping the paramedics. We see in the original, the shit blows up and he just flies away. <laughs> and that was it. But it makes Batman's motivation more confusing later of like, so set out to like, I'm just going to fucking kill this guy. Yeah. Even with what we're talking about, like this guy's unhinged. He's been doing it longer. He's been pushed past his limit because of all these things. It is. But again, I, he's not denying his capacity to do good. He's by his 1% chance argument. He's saying, yeah, sure. If every day of the year he's helping people out fine. But if something goes wrong on that one day, we're all fucked. So that's why yeah, but that's, that's an argument for having the weapon like Batman. Cause Batman does, he has like a million different, I have a kryptonite bullet and kryptonite pellets yeah. and a kryptonite sheet that I pull out of my, my bat belt and I put over him when he's doing being bad. Yeah. Like he has all those things. That's true to the character, but that he just is going to go all the way and just kill him. That's what is a little like extreme about it. That's just the fear from being there in that ground zero situation where it's not like they've coexisted on some level. It's like, this is a brand new threat and I have to determine right now, am I going to let something like that? Am I going to let a nine 11 happen again? You know, it's an irrational overreaction. That scenario is interesting too, where every witness except for the one that you're like trying to implicate is dead. And so who would you believe in a scenario like that? Yeah. You know, when, cause, cause you really have to, you, you take sides based on your preconceptions. Either you wanted to side with Superman and believe that he was doing the right thing, or you would not want to side with Superman and, and you would believe that he caused whatever happened in the courthouse. Yeah. But there's nobody there to attest in either direction because he's the only one that came out of it. And I really like, though it's sad and tragic, the, visual of the explosion and then just him he looks disappointed or something yeah that, yeah he's like brought down in that moment well like yeah, he exactly. like he like, couldn't see just, it yeah instantly like oh my god you know how would you defeat a guy like that but he looks defeated in that moment because yeah here's a guy who could do anything and in this scenario could do nothing apparently and did nothing the way you described that scene it makes me think a little bit more about how you're saying how the, in the theatrical cut, they don't show them helping people. Because a lot of this movie, I think, could be like, some of the issues could be resolved if people just stopped and talked for a second. Yeah. Like, without violence and attacking each other. But in that scene, how you're saying, well, if the only person who survived is the person that people don't trust, yeah, I do kind of think like, well, what difference does it make if he's helping people after the fact? Because that could just all be a ruse. Yeah. Not a cover so not having that scene in there, I don't think is a bad choice because it, as the audience still puts you in the same spot of like, you get that you saw that he didn't cause it, but everyone outside is going to think he did, or at least they're going to have strong suspicions that he did. Yeah. So mm-hmm. cutting that scene or cutting that element of the scene out, I think probably wouldn't have made a difference. But, Although I get how showing it. It's like, but if he would have stopped and said like, I'm going to save as many people as I can. And I was in there and a bomb went off and yeah. I have some real worries about what's going on. And I'm going to, you know, work with you guys to try and like, it didn't do any of that. It's like when, you know, when we grab about, 
relationship movies and the fact that they didn't like talk about stuff or explain themselves. Yep. You know, uh, I can't, I can't have them explaining the stuff because maybe then the conflict goes away and that doesn't help the storyline. So he better not, he better just skedaddle. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember when exactly it is, but I swear that like, maybe it's not right then, but it's sometime after that. And there's this crowd of people like burn him. Yeah. Like in regards to Superman. And I was like, that dude didn't die in explosion. <laughs> like, what do you think you're going to burn this guy? In like, I don't understand what, like I get the whole mob, like grab your pitchforks and burn this guy. But that's funny. Honestly, it's not going to work. I don't know why you're saying that. That's pretty funny. Someone needs to take Superman and shoot him. Right. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Spank his bottom. I was thinking care. last night when I rewatched this about his guilt in that scene and could that have played out any differently? I thought, well, in Justice League, which I know I don't think all of us have seen, is that correct? I, I don't think I've seen it. I think I saw parts okay. of it. I've never seen so it. So there's a great shot where Superman is uh, back from the dead and the Flash comes running up behind him. That's one of the scenes I've seen. Yeah, it's awesome. And we see first his eyeballs and then his head turn and he catches the Flash, right? I'm watching with this in my head last night going, if he looks at Holly Hunter's face in her panic and her looking at Lex's chair and then her looking at the guy and we see Superman turn his head and look at the guy split second before it goes off, right? And we know that he's as fast as the flash. Could he have stopped? And I was like, but no, he still doesn't have enough information to know what he's looking at. And so what is he going to do? Fly the crippled guy that he's there for hurting through the wall and still blow up half the place? I'm yeah, like, there's think, no way out. I think you're right. His power should allow him to resolve that situation, even with maybe some people hurt. If he can watch the flash, if he's as fast as that, yeah. he should be able to, at the moment of the explosion, take him out of there to limit the damage. So I think the version of the scene that you're saying that works doesn't have all the tells yeah and i think that works better anyway because then the audience is even more surprised by it you're not seeing all these like oh she knows lex was here and she sees her peach tea or whatever and yeah it would work better overall because it resolves all those issues but don't they say later on that like one he's just talking about being distracted and like not being focused and don't they also say something though about his wheelchair being like yeah lead-lined or something yeah. as to so again, he wouldn't have the information. Like with the speed, yes, you could. But again, he didn't understand what she was thinking, and he couldn't see the setup. He could, you know, it's like technically, yes, you could partially have saved lives, but you don't know that it's about to happen, so you can't. My, well, Evan, I'm with you in that because that is there, but that's just that's part of like Lex's plan to make him play on his insecurities and his worries. His worry is that that scene happened that way or that explosion killed all those people because he was distracted and because he wasn't paying attention. Yeah. But that's not why. It was because the bomb was covered by the lead lining. But yeah. with the powers we've established him having and all the tells in the scene, he would have been able to limit it. So that's what I, I don't think so works as well. You're saying that he could have done something regardless based on suspicion that might have limited casualties yeah but the whole idea of being super fast whether you're the flash or superman is that your brain also yeah works fast i mean i took that to mean that like the 
wheelchair is lead lined. And so this is a Superman who has x-ray vision and he couldn't see the contents of the wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to being distracted, even if he did look, he doesn't really have reason to suspect stuff because he can't see the contents. Yes. Plus, again, the idea that that guy is a witness to this trial for being gravely injured as collateral damage by Superman. And so, again, unless you are absolutely sure of what the fuck is happening, you can't take that guy out. No, my thing is just a super, super nitpicky, nerdy thing of like yeah. Superman's abilities would enable him to, the moment of an explosion, act. Oh. Yeah, okay. Something. Even that's all. Yeah, yeah. When Superman is created, they're like, he can do so much shit. Like for some reason, they just what's that called, Ben? Like an OP, right? Like oh, they nerfed game. him. Yeah, like Sam in games, OPs are like overpowered characters. They've just been created, and it's like they've broken the game because now yeah, there's no challenge. To yeah, because they're just like this is. It's Sam, a video fun. game is like a board game, but it's on a screen, and you use a controller. Yeah. Oh, like we used to do in the nineties. Yes. Got it. That's like what they accidentally created with Superman back in the day. They were like, oh, balls. We didn't know what we like set him up as kind of. So this is that Superman. And apparently he has x-ray vision, although it doesn't, I don't know that they ever like really talk about it. Maybe it's in Man of Steel or something. Yeah. That's another little flaw in they don't reveal how Lex gets this information. I don't mind. How does he know that the lead will I, I don't mind that the metahuman data comes from secret files that he has or whatever. I don't mind him yeah. discovering the kryptonite stuff. I don't mind that. But it's like they don't explain how he knows the lead. They don't explain how he knows <laughs> their true identities. Well, I like the identities thing because it's like he's just sussed that out because he's smart. But the lead thing is like he knows it because we know it. The audience yeah, knows. Yeah, exactly. Knows. Yeah. I, mean, I will say now that we've talked about this for 15 minutes... I actually like the scene. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it's, but it, it's just like, <laughs> well, and I just brought that up as like I was trying to reimagine it just and analyze it for the sake of discussion. And, and I thought like, well, is there another outcome? And ultimately I decided there wasn't, but then we went through it anyway just to see. I think if you just cut him seeing the senator's face, so Superman is completely surprised. Yeah. I do think it would work a little better. You can still have her being nervous and worried, but not like... <clears throat> Oh, wheelchair guy, and then explosion. Kind yeah. Of <laughs> what? If, what if he really did just fly him through the wall, and then just <laughs> like it's just a shot of him like flying into the sky with a wheelchair guy, and he goes. Like he took the guy into the sky and exploded him. <laughs> yeah, he just fucking blasted him. And <laughs> he just dipped out. You're like he flew at him, and then the dude like when he hits the wall, they explode. They're like, oh my god, he just killed that guy. <laughs> Walk around. Yeah, He's and then really he just bad. keeps going. What the fuck? <laughs> wow. Uh. All right, so Lex visits his destroyed lab, sees the Batarang where the kryptonite was, and is like, Mr. Burns, excellent fingers, you know? Sets his true plan in motion on Zod's ship. Uh, we see the origins of Doomsday happening. I have a question. Go. Is the camera footage of Batman attacking the facility unique to the Ultimate Edition? Because a complaint I had the first time I watched this movie and I still have it with this one is that that would have been a really cool scene to see. Actually, you know what? I don't think it is there. Yeah. Cause you don't see any of it. I, that's how I remember it. And I still feel like you don't see enough, although it's neat to see the camera footage, 
Yeah, it's just implied with the battering. Time and it's okay, but it bothers me in this movie when we have it's three hours long and there's a bunch of shit I don't want to see. <laughs> I would have liked at least maybe thirty seconds of some cool stuff with that of him being a ninja. Yeah, yeah, give me some like Ocean's Eleven breaking into <laughs> yes. the lab stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Or some Catwoman go through the lasers stuff. You know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. He does like cool flips and chops people in the back of the neck and knocks them out. So with that, we have the. Bruce hardcore training montage mixed in with the weaponization of the kryptonite in the lab stuff. And so shit's like, oh, fuck, yeah. This is the biggest, meanest Batman we've ever fucking seen. He's building his his new tech for this fight. Fighters, like professional fighters, really do do the whole sledgehammer on the tire action, and I've like long wanted to hit a tire with a sledgehammer. That looks like that looks like legit. Whether or not you box people for a profession or something, that looks like good. Yeah, I think you do that, uh, and then you also do the thing where you just flip the tire over and over. Yeah, that looks like a that, good aggressive venting to me. That looks like some fun that I would like to participate in. I more think of like Beavis and Butthead where Beavis gets inside the tire and they push him down a hill. <laughs> That's the, the key to MMA training is you got to get in the tire yeah, yeah. and they push you down a hill. You got to have a dumb friend and you push him down a hill. Bruce finally gets the decrypted hard drive and sees that the photo is of Diana from a hundred years earlier. Still looking good. Yeah. Like you haven't aged a day. Here's a good one that is also a restored scene. Lois tours Keefe, the the wheelchair, quote-unquote, bomber's apartment, where they find weapons that we know were planted as the audience, you know, but they say on the news they found bomb-making materials. They wonder if Superman or anyone else was involved. So she's like, fuck that. I'm going there. Finds fresh fruit on the table. It's like, what the fuck? And goes in, opens the fridge. New groceries, unopened milk, you know, things like this going, this guy did not know he was going to die. Again, explaining a little bit more of the context because we saw that one shadowy conversation with this man and Lex giving him the chair. For all we knew in the theatrical version, he convinced him to do it. There's just so much more clarity when you have those little investigative pieces there is but you could have him when he shows up in the apartment to have their shadowy conversation be like and here's a new wheelchair i got you like some kind of thing like that that would convey the same message of he got this thing and just took it at face value and that yeah day. but if you had like a lois lane investigation spinoff shit like i'd watch that like i just i like that side of it you know no i agree with you i think that scene is awesome but just that as an example of like if you have limited time to make a movie, yeah. there are ways around just adding more stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I would like, that's the same thing with like, give me more Lois Lane stuff and cut out some of the, this other boring stuff. But what this shows is that it places Lex two frames away. He's doing everything he can to not implicate himself while manipulating all these other people. And so it's just showing he's another step removed from anything that could be damning on his record, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to be fair, because we are judging this movie, yeah. not the theatrical version, but part of my complaint about this movie is that it's very long. Yeah, and um, you, you can't really but, talk about it without 
in the same way you can't talk about it without mentioning Man of Steel. I mean, they're they're connected. I've also presented my own solution to the problem, which is just watching it in three viewings. But parts of those viewings, even though they were an hour at a time, were rough to get through. Yeah. I'll put that in my cons list because the thought of spending money on that fresh fruit and having it go to waste is just uh, such a bummer to me. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Costner cameo. If you were a fan of Man of Steel, that was a nice little touch. Or Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. Ghost Man. <laughs> Field of Dreams. <laughs> Yellowstone, anyone? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Martha Kent is abducted from her job. Lois Lane abducted from hers. We get Rooftop Lex ranting and raving, pushes Lois off. He has this... You mean um, Jim Carrey's Riddler? No. If you're at least going to make that accusation, say Jim Carrey's Nigma. Nigma, that's what I meant. His yes. Riddler was a fucking cartoon character. Oh, yeah. So good. Scientist Nigma. Okay. Brilliant. That Brilliant I like. That's fine. But, you know, he gives this, if God is all-powerful, he cannot be all-good. If he is all-good, he cannot be all-powerful. And essentially blackmails Superman, saying, I don't know the location of your mom, but here's the proof. <laughs> It felt like such cut-rate Heath Ledger Joker stuff. Really? Yeah, just everything about that scene. And it's not bad. It's just that it's not as good as the Heath Ledger stuff. And in the context of that, like if it was its own thing and that had never existed, it would still be kind of cheesy. But it just felt like the Heath Ledger stuff is a better version of that same thing. More jokery. Like it's the way he's doing it. Not just that he did it. Because like that setup is a Lex Luthory kind of thing. But that he's like... He's reveling in the suffering he's causing by throwing these pictures of his mother all. It's just like. Yeah, but again, he. Superman is an affront to his ego and to his power and this sort of God complex that he has. And so he has to gloat over him. He has to feel that he is in control of this God in order to justify the things he's doing. I mean, that's the point. It's too gleeful. Maybe that's how I'll summarize it. It's just self-aggrandizing. I I, I think it's because the the character that he created already, like the way that he's acting it, and then in that scene, I don't like his take on it. Versus like somebody who quietly, smugly casts these pictures at this character and stuff. Like he's he's too whimsical that I don't really like that part. Yeah. And I don't know what he is. I know, I know. He's not, he's not a Godfather type smooth villain. He's not. Yeah. I really like that part because that's his whole thing is like literally bringing Superman to his knees. Yeah. So I like the imagery in that part, but I have a hard time believing that like anything that he would do would reduce Superman to dropping to his knees. Like, no thing could make that guy's legs lose strength. I have a hard time... I have a, hit him. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that. I don't think that Superman would drop to his knees. That's not a physical response. That's an emotional response. I kind of uh, agree with I, I that just, just because of the... If they're... Not just because of my own mother stuff, but just in general of, like, that's all the good Superman stories. That's how you beat him, or that's how you give him a challenge is that kind of stuff like i've got your mother hostage and i will kill her if you don't do this i could see from an emotional standpoint 
I can see a version of it where he's still Superman and he's stoic and he doesn't fall over, but I thought that worked. Well, and here's the thing, because he just effortlessly swooped Lois out of the sky. He is calm and collected, right? And then he shows up there going like, all right, this is over. And then he gets the the kind of twist on him. It's not a twist for the audience, but it's a twist for him because he thought like, oh, I just fucking saved the girl. Like, I'm going to take this dude down. And it's all done, and he does not expect that ace up the sleeve. It's a blind side. Yeah, I know. And what's I'm with going you. On. I see a version where he doesn't do that. Yeah, I know it's it going on, but I just don't think that like Superman would cower to anything. That's his level of like poise and confidence and, and sure. strength all the time. But I, Batman but wouldn't I, do that. Yeah, he wouldn't believe Batman falling to his knees. Sure, it would take a lot for Batman to fall to his knees like that, and yeah. it, as Batman. Yeah, the strongest thing in our planet isn't going to buckle. And then the other part that I do like about that, though, too, is the moment of rage where he shows restraint and his lies, his eyes light up and he couldn't melt him with eyeball beams. See, and I disagree because right now we're about to talk about the BVS fight. And in the helipad scene, that is the first time that I am sort of dissatisfied with Cavill's performance. I've loved him the entire film leading up to this and the entire film before it, but I feel like he's got a little bit of that Gal Gadot trying to be angry where it just is a little bit forced and that's not in her wheelhouse. You don't believe it's like a natural human response. I don't mean human like because he's an alien. I just mean you don't believe it's the way a person becomes enraged yeah i think that it just seems a little bit out of character how he's he doesn't seem desperate he just seems meaner darker you know superman doesn't do that exactly and so going into this fight when i saw it at the premiere i found it hard to watch and i think that's just being so in love with the characters that it felt like mommy and daddy are hurting each other. I actually, I was like wincing and like withdrawing. Like I let your laugh out. You're holding too much of a back. <laughs> yeah. Like I, the first couple times I saw it, I really didn't enjoy watching them hurt each other because See, I want I'm them gonna need you when you make to this win picture for this episode. It's going to need to say, it felt like mommy and daddy were hurting each other. Sammy Warman. That yeah. needs to be on the, teaser card for this episode. That's that's kind of the line uh, that I've used ever since I saw it when I would describe it to someone is like mommy and daddy are fighting. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've said this many times. Like (laughs) what are you doing? It's just um it's it's just some flag number eight. Oh Oh, no, go on, enjoy yourselves, laugh. Oh, okay. So yeah, I had a conflict when I was watching it. You know, who's I'm ro- mommy and who's daddy? I'm rooting for both of them, and so I yeah. I don't want to see either of them bashing each other's faces in. That said, we have all of Batman's tech. You know, we have the he can beat anyone with enough prep time. There's obviously the Dark Knight Returns elements. Um, he's got the Sonics, the guns. The kryptonite gas, which I love how he catches midair and then it releases uh-huh. in his face. You know, so it's not like they're making a bitch out of him or anything. He's still 
acting according to his abilities, but I still think that the biggest question that comes up with this, and it's one that haven't brought up before, is who is mommy and who is daddy? Yeah, uh, take it back. Just an analogy. Um, <laughs> this scene is to me the worst offender of the stop and just talk. It makes sense from Batman's perspective because Batman has a goal and a motivation. He's like, I'm going to stop Superman. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do whatever. And in Dark Knight Returns, it makes sense because they both have those goals where Superman, Ronald Reagan has recruited yeah. Superman <laughs> to stop Batman. He's not going to kill him, but his, he's trying to take him out to stop him. And Batman's yeah. trying to fight him and stop him from doing that. In this, Superman's goal is like, he's got my mother. I want to recruit him to help me. I need to tell him what has happened. I need to make my case. And like every chance he gets, he's throwing Batman through walls and punching him in the face and doing all this. Like, well, and again, wait, that's wait, the point of give Superman. him, give him credit. How does the scene begin? The scene begins with him asking, I believe three separate times. Please listen to me. This is what's happening. Bam. He gets hit with something else. Even though the kryptonite is weakening him, he's invincible. That's my whole point is that he's not trying to stop Batman. His only goal in the scene is to get him on the side. And, I thought of uh, Blade Runner 2049, a beautiful neon movie that you'd love because there's just neon everywhere. <laughs> but there's a similar scene where a character is trying to enlist the help of another character and the character that he wants help from thinks he's a threat. And so he's fighting him and he's stopping him and he just completely does not fight at all. He just stops. He just takes it. That's what Superman could do in this scene. Yeah. And I think they're trying to give us, they're so set on giving us this awesome fight scene, which is awesome. And it's maybe my favorite part of the movie that it doesn't, it's not motivated well or justified well. And um, I have two thoughts. One is that this scene kind of plays into the whole, the part of my brain that's like, what if, what if that didn't happen thing? Because, uh, because Superman throwing Batman all over the place just happens to lead everybody to the place that Batman wants the fight scene to end up at, yeah. you know, in, to the kryptonite. Uh, mausoleum, and <laughs> I have and, that place at the Kryptonite Mausoleum. <laughs> yeah, it's totally, it's totally <laughs> um, you know, just the way that like eh, things just work out. You know, you just happen to throw them in all those places, and it just planned out. I thought that too when I was watching. I'm like, well, how do you know he's gonna toss your ass in the right place? But he yeah. does guide him back down there and throws him down the stairs and swings him around and flings him uh. to the location. But I, I did sure. have that thought at one point. I mean, There's both elements yeah, to it. From, yeah. from the alleyway, around the alleyway corner to the top of the building with the bat signal and then down into the building and then eventually where you want to be. So, like, that played out well. It's both. He's yeah. Batman and he's a master planner and also it doesn't make sense. Yeah, he's really good at getting beat up strategically. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, well, I mean, Daddy. actually speaking of the motivation, when you talk well, about I mean, him... <laughs> I no, I mean, I completely, I would, I would say something like that. It was just too good to pass up. No, I know it's just funny. When you talk about that, it makes me think of what we just established with him on the helipad. Of like, again, he's swooping in, thinking he's saving the day. I'm going to put all this shit behind us. He gets this big surprise. It's very emotional. I know you're talking about like the flash thinking. You know, or, where he's got to be able to process information very, very quickly. But again, that's I, a Superman I, problem in general. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I can understand him being desperate or off his game in this moment, in the same way that Bruce is desperate and off his game throughout this film. And so maybe 
that's either a problem of Henry Cavill's performance and or the writing doesn't and doesn't I, convey that. Sadly, as much as I love the guy, I think the back um, end of this movie, his performance is not selling it. Uh, I got my thought back. Uh, it, it obviously <laughs> only aids the story, you know, because what they're trying to do is end up semi-passively, like on Superman's part, but kind of like Ben was saying, if he didn't want to go anywhere, and if he didn't want to fight at all, and he only wanted to talk, he wouldn't even toss Batman around. he just fly up in the air? Yeah, he just slaps him multiple times and stuff, and like, yeah, that's cool, and it shows how strong you are and stuff, and you like you broke the guns, and you broke the sonic weapons and, and stuff, but if you honestly didn't want to do anything, he would just stay where he was. You could even make a case that like he's trying to fool Lex into thinking that he's fighting, but the movie doesn't do that. There's mm-hmm. none of that in there. Mm-hmm. You can find ways to rationalize it, but the movie doesn't. It, it only aids what you're trying to do with the story by having him like not really get to talk and slapping him around to all the right places. Yeah, totally. It's just kind of like you said, that manufactured conflict that you just need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to get this awesome scene where Batman hits Superman with a sink. Yeah, couple more observations in this fight scene. Early on in it, Superman can't see through a smoke grenade. I don't like that. Has he been kryptonited yet? No. Pretty, pretty sure he hasn't. Uh, because he flies up to it, and Batman's not there. And I'm like, what the fuck? Can you just blow uh, it all away? Yeah, really. Just suck it all in? If, yeah. If this is the Superman with X-ray vision, then he also has incredible breath powers. Well, he uses it in Justice League. Yeah. I do like in the parts, though, where he's weakened. And this is something that happens in other things. But I like the representation in this in that you don't get the feeling that Superman is an incredible fighter. He's just really strong. Yeah. But you do get the feeling that Batman is a really good fighter and he's really strong for a human. And so in the times where uh, Superman is weakened by the kryptonite, that Batman is actually his equal or superior. Yeah. Yeah. Or or his superior because he actually has knowledge of fighting techniques that Superman does not. And this is what we were hinting at with the Batmobile scene earlier, but when Superman throws a blow and Batman blocks it, and you see the astonishment on Cal's face is like, what the fuck? And that's when he knows, oh, I'm in trouble, right? Uh-huh. And then we see asses kicked and walls smashed and all this shit happening, right? Batman is hammering on his face and is like, punch, and his face recoils. Punch, and his face recoils a little less. And punch, oh, and his face doesn't move at all. Those are my two favorite moments in this whole sequence of like, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. that's just fucking fan service right there. That part that is, really is a cool. great visual since we've like talking about rises and like him getting his face smushed and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and so this to go the opposite and to work backwards, you know, like less smushy, less smushy. Like oh shit. <laughs> yeah. So compare that, compare that whole scene, but that moment of the scene versus the entire last twenty minutes of the movie where it's all laser beams and rubbery <laughs> CGI characters flipping so, around. It's yeah. so weak in comparison to that one moment. Yeah. And it's funny because right now everyone's favorite thing to shit on is Wonder Woman 84. And in some ways I actually liked it more than the original because it's not 
a 30-minute CGI fest fly through the air with lightning ending. It's actually part of that movie. Because that that was one of the things that got me out of the Snyder thing. It was like the end of BVS with Doomsday, Wonder Woman with Ares, and Suicide Squad with Enchantress, plus to some extent Zod. And so like... Yeah, Man of Steel is the same thing. Yeah, and Man of Steel was better though because at least most of it, you are seeing an actual city location and, Mm -hmm. you know, it feels a little more real. But like, uh-huh. yeah, when they just get fucking fantastical with it, I, I lose a There's lot. a part of me because it's like these are movies are a huge collaborative effort. Yeah. And so it's worth like acknowledging how neat that stuff is, like the skill yes. that went into that scene and how just the both the raw like the computer power we have, but the the technical ability to create that. It's neat, but when it's not constructed in a way that serves the purpose of the movie, it's just jarring yeah. it's like what we're talking about with like a big cg building in the middle of this like classic <laughs> animation like mm-hmm. look at what 90s computers can do it's just distracting and takes you out of it yeah and like where that would that would be an awesome thing that you'd watch on youtube it's like a 15 minute fight scene that would be cool but connected to this movie it's not cool yeah i think that part of it is because you can't have like one of these characters just kill the other one in a bvs film you have to have them transcend this trap and go after Lex. Well, that's going to be over in 30 seconds. So what do you do? You know, you, you need some, some big standoff with the main villain. How do you accomplish what it is, that? Is you just elaborate what is arguably the other best scene in the movie is Batman saving Martha Kent. That is yeah. the best scene. Because you're right, they keep building up. And so how do you follow that? Yeah their answer was to have a big CG fight where everything's even more extreme than you saw before, but you could have just made that scene more important or drawn it out or done something there. Yeah, and when they got to that that turn, the Martha scene, I checked the the time real quick because, you know, Ultimate Edition is very long. I've only seen it twice now, I think, maybe three times. So I wasn't sure how much was left. And it said 40 minutes, and I was like, how is that even possible? Like, is there that much doomsday punching? Like, yes, there is. There's 30 yeah. minutes of doomsday punching. It's a lot. But, like, that scene becomes bad, because there's moments of it, especially in the beginning, that look really cool to me when, uh, it's either when Superman throws doomsday or doomsday throws Superman into, like, a bunch of, like, uh, oil containers yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the so way cool. that scene looks, like, it looked awesome, and then it cuts back to real people. Like, that was constructed really well, and it, it hasn't fully just devolved into nonsense at that point. And that looked really, yeah. really cool. If that wasn't like a whole TV episode length scene of itself, it would have been great. Cause I, when they did it and he popped out, I'm like, holy fucking shit. They're doing doomsday. And then he fucking dies. I'm like, holy shit. You know, like there's a lot of great stuff in there and adding arguably the best part of the movie. Wonder woman in action for the first time ever. And very fucking badass, very little dialogue. No one knows who the fuck really she is and what's going on. She's like, I've killed things from other worlds before, you know? And like when she gets knocked back and she's got that little grin and like, all right, asshole, let's fucking, you know, like she is a goddamn God. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And the Hans Zimmer theme 
her thing of I couldn't tell you what Batman's theme is in this movie and I've seen it probably 25 times <laughs> and yet I sing that song in my head all the time man and like for what Zimmer did in the Dark Knight trilogy is iconic and on the level with Elfman I think it's great but where the music lacked in this series, they really made up for with Wonder Woman because yeah, that when he looks at her picture in here for the first time. Yeah, just kind of a hint like, of it. Oh, this movie has music. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and Lex Luthor had a great theme too, and even some of the violin stuff they do with Lex at the end is really neat. But for the most part, it's kind of forgettable uh, and takes you know second fiddle to what's actually on screen visually. I think that part of what I like about Wonder Woman's theme is that it's like jungle drums and it reminds me of Jumanji. You know, the (laughs) rhythm is not all that different from Bane's theme, honestly. Because it's... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's got that... (laughs) You know, the way it sort of builds into it every time. But it's that... Soaring melodies. Mm, it's money. Riffing. Yeah. I think you hit the, the hammer on the head, though, with that. And, and again, it's the whole movie, but... Wait, I hit the that, hammer? You hit the hammer on the head with your nail. Wow. Yeah, that's the saying, isn't it? How does that work? That is your American saying, where you hit the hammer on the head with the nail. <laughs> you hit the hammer on the head. I am American, head. too. <laughs> I know these words. Um... <laughs> Whatever the fuck you did was right. How about that? <laughs> I don't like to say We're, this very often. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why I can't put it together because it's, not, it's not natural for me. I can't believe it. It hurts to, to say it. <laughs> you could even have all the, the over-the-top CG, but just make the whole thing way shorter. Yeah. Way shorter. It could still Because it's so explosive that it doesn't need to be that long. Yeah. Part of my gripe is that, like we've talked about Bane, the way that characters get used sometimes and these previously back-breaking supervillains are reduced to, like, bit thugs. Yeah. Is how I feel about Doomsday in this. I know that he's big because he does, like, some super dope stuff in 30 minutes, but he's also not actually, like, the main villain of the movie. And I feel like they're, they're throwing a lot at me really fast and having, actually, some prior knowledge of this character, it seems kind of cheapened to me so do you think that seeing less of a character that is supposed to actually be like an important groundbreaking character is a better thing than seeing the amount that you see right now because that would i feel like cheapen it even more i already don't feel like they're doing him a service and seeing less of him would be like wow you really skimmed over that guy who killed Superman in the comic books. They painted themselves in a corner. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's just kind of a, a failing of movies sometimes. You don't understand not... if they had another seven hours, they could do the full <laughs> oh, story. Right. The studio didn't let him. They wanted to. <laughs> I think it's two things. Like, they step it up too fast, and so the ending needs to stand above all of the other things. But in that way, it gets, like, too big in scale. Like, giving Doomsday, like, EKG powers yeah. is... Just, Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's not a thing. So 
you're trying to do too much in this story so that the ending needs to top all of that. And then also just a thing with audiences is like must have huge finish. And so in people's attempts to pandering isn't the right word, but to create to satisfy that. Yeah, exactly. To create something that will satisfy them, given our standards, like must have this massive finish. Which is like a, that's, a trend. It doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. But. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have to happen, but that's what people are used to. And so they're like, well, I guess we got to do this. But this is also us, like a standard. <laughs> Don't group me with you. <laughs> okay. This is also uh, Sam. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is mommy and daddy talking here. <laughs> um Remember when you said that thing? <laughs> yeah. Is that going to go on the bingo card for this year? <laughs> I'm definitely going to bring it up sometime later, but I'm going to be like James Gordon Jr. I'm going to wait years. <laughs> You're never going to see it coming. <laughs> 15 years down the road, Edge Lord, Mommy, Daddy. <laughs> Did you lose your thought? <laughs> well, I think they, it's, they oh. had the same issue where because they also have to kill Superman at the end of the movie. So you can't have it my way where it's just a better yeah. and more fleshed out Batman saving Martha Kent scene. Cause then you can't, how do they kill Superman after that? Yeah. You have to have doomsday and you have to kill Superman <laughs> or like but we only have so you, much time left. You, and you kill Superman and like his last words are like, he's going to kill my mom. And he's like, Oh shit. Well, I better make that right anyway. You know, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. Uh, Okay, I want to acknowledge that leading into the Martha scene, when his helmet is crushed, Affleck actually delivers some very nice Michael Keaton voice because in interviews, he's attributed his whole Batman voice to, they're like, what does it sound like when you're singing? He's like, it just sounds like me talking. Like, you know, but he actually really does. Your mom's name is Martha. <laughs> My mom's name is Martha. <laughs> That's pretty good. Martha. That sounded pretty good, like a drive-through Batman. Yeah. But I thought his voice was actually really good when you could hear him just normally outside of the the helmet. And then this is the scene, and this is um, deservedly the most criticized part of the movie. And Bruce leads into it, dragging him, talking about, like, I bet your parents taught you this and that. I bet your parents taught you fucking blah, blah, blah. Well, my parents taught me something else, dying in the gutter. And life only makes sense when you force it to. And, you know, he's going on this, this rant. And when he hears the words, and this is what a lot of people were like, what, because they have the fucking same name, whatever. Like, it could have been sold better. Like, it's a great idea on paper. This sort of part. this this about face of him recognizing how far off the base he's gone, you know, like yeah, and he's about to kill a person. Yeah, premeditated murder and having some self reflection. Okay, that needed to happen, and I think that it's both on the writer and on Cavill because if you would said like they're gonna kill my mom. Yes, and he's that's like, the, that's all they needed. To and do. then he said, "They're gonna kill Martha or something like that." You could Please even throw that just in. Save my mom. Y yeah, you could even have my mother. And you could even throw in Martha on the second line or something. No, leave that garbage out. And you see that Martha Stewart. You know, <laughs> but you see that recognition oh. in his eyes where all of a sudden this isn't some 
fucking alien threat, but I'm actually Monster. recognizing humanity here. I'm empathizing. I'm understanding. This dude has a family somehow. Like, what was I about to do? Exactly. And and what does that say about me? That if my mom was killed, and I was literally just talking about it ten seconds ago, and now his mom is about to be killed, and I'm about to stop him and allow this to happen. Like, how the fuck did I get here? And I love all of that, but both the delivery, most terrible Tin Man fucking after-school special acting. I cannot believe. I love Cavill. He's my favorite Superman. Why did he do this to me? How does it compare to Talia's death? Which one do you think is worse? Oh, yeah. They're on the level. It, it might even be worse than that. It's it's rightly hated, but I've defended it so much because I get what they were trying to do, and it just almost fucking landed, but they they missed. You know, they, there's a swing and a miss. I think you could still have his terrible delivery. It's just that line, because like, that both their mother's name is Martha. It's just because like, the guys who created these characters were like lazy or... Well, I was saying to... It didn't matter. I said to my wife, I was like, is that like Britney was in the 80s, like, but in the 30s? You know, where just every girl has this name? Yeah, Martha. All Americans have some names. Like all the Ruths. Born in the 1890s. Like all the Ruths in the 40s and all the Marthas in the 30s, you know? Yeah, just have it be he's saying my mother and then like he's like, what? Oh, you have a mom? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. But I also think this is another example of you having more like thoughtfulness than the creators did because obviously that is what they were going for but you seeing what they're going for and then giving it more life than it has because the only only really moment i get of that is just more of like great ben affleck face acting yeah in that moment when he realizes what he's about to do but all the things you're describing about what he's just said and all that like the movie doesn't connect that well enough exactly because of the bad writing but like so again it's it's not just the performance but it's also the writing and the way that they delivered that critical moment that's the linchpin for the whole third act and they fell short i mean they planted seeds going into it i liked in the beginning that we've heard about thomas wayne we've heard about him in the dark knight trilogy we've heard about him in joker with joaquin phoenix we've heard about thomas wayne a lot we've only heard martha wayne attached to thomas and Martha Wayne. We've never heard anything about her personality in film separately. You could have had her do something cool in the beginning. Somebody say Martha. And so again, in the intro at the premiere, when he says his last word, Martha, that registered to me, wow, that's nice that they actually acknowledged her importance in this story. So again, I'm already conscious of this shit as they're dropping breadcrumbs and leading up to it. And so it worked for me, even though it really needed some work. That's just lazy. Just don't even do it. Just like the death scene in Rises, this scene did not register to me at all. You guys are talking about some stuff that did not even occur to me. This is famously bad, though. This was like a major yeah, point of contention. Yeah, this makes me want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. It just didn't stand out to me. Yeah, it not only oversimplifies it, but it just, it cheapens the whole thing. It's just stupid. It's such you, a dumb choice. They make it so easy for people to shit on it. You know, it's like, this is already going to be a divisive film that can never live up to its expectations. And it's following 
a divisive film that didn't live up to its expectations. Do you think when they were writing that line, they were in the room and they were like, yeah, man, holy shit, that's the that best stuff you've ever written. That's, people are going to absolutely this. Absolutely. I think that on paper, what they're going for is great. Not even good, but I think is exceptional because you have to appeal to Bruce's humanity to shake him out of it. And again, what Affleck does, he's in this rage still, but you can see the disbelief and he's kind of reeling and trying to like, what the fuck, you know, and Ange always makes fun of this. My wife, every time I watch this movie and she's in the room and he does that line, she parrots it, making fun of him. Why did you say that name? His delivery is good, but his line is also bad. It's just a, a, a continuation of a, the first bad line. His acting is better, but it's still stupid. Your wife is right. Don't talk to me <laughs> like that. I know. It just hurts me because they make it so easy to pick it apart, you know? Yeah. If they just had another year or two, really <laughs> Well, but the great thing is, as you're watching it, they follow that with the greatest scene in the movie, and arguably, to many, the greatest Batman scene on film. And you kind of forget about what the fuck just happened real fast. Oh, I didn't notice this until last night. That as he's going to save Martha Kent, he's in the Batwing, having this big revelation that he just had about not committing premeditated murder. And he's mowing down people in the Batwing on the way there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. You don't listen to yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you don't. If you think about it in advance, not so hot. If you act in the moment, totally good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the end of Three Jokers. Like, just the less you think about it, the better it is, you know? Yeah. Just eat your fucking popcorn. Yeah. And have a good time. When he breaks through the floor, he shoots those little magnetic fucking things that attach Weapon to their guns. Yeah. Yeah. And shut everybody down, and now it's all hand-to-hand. He's using people's bodies as human shields. He's using them as weapons against each other. He's using one guy's gun in his own hand to shoot another guy's foot. I like the way that scene starts when he launches through the ceiling. It's so quick that they're all still looking down at the hole. Yeah, yeah they don't know. <laughs> he's he's yeah, that's, that's really cool. I specifically like him using his cable to grab the crate and then toss it at the yes. guy. Yes. Yes. It's super awesome. That's a very good way to use tools that you normally use a different way. I love that, except the sort of weightlessness of the CGI crate. Like, I, th- I think it's awesome every time I see it, but um, just the way that it moves and lands. Uh, yeah, I imagine that would be kind of a hard thing to, like, get your physics right. Yeah. And then I like the dude who gets his head driven into the floor. <laughs> yeah. What because the, because the, so many other things are, like, very, very dynamic, like... You clothesline a guy versus a dude who's just like, bah, at the end, <laughs> yeah. like head driven into the floor, just goes to sleep. Or that shot where he throws a guy into the wall and it breaks him through the wall, not like completely, yeah. but you you see all the guts of the construction as yeah. he falls through. Like that shit, I could watch. Yeah, okay, we had thirty minutes of Doomsday. I could watch thirty minutes of this. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, put your money there. For sure, that is easily the best. Batman fighting people seen in a live action thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. And what I like too is that while being 90% dominant in that fight still gets shot 
a couple times, still gets punched a couple times. Like, He's relying on his armor to protect him from getting hit with the knives, so he is taking yeah. hits. Yeah, he does awesome stuff to, to absorb things, and then there's other times where he gets snuck up on and... shoots him in the head yeah, from behind. When he gets that knife in his chest, pulls it out, fights off the other guy, stabs that dude who, who stabbed him, like uh-huh. sticks him into the wall, fights off another one or two, and then comes back and punches him in the wound while the knife is still in him. It's like, Jesus Christ, he's not fucking around. And we get that Dark Knight Returns moment where he busts through the wall and grabs the dude who's in the room. And we get this little bit of dialogue that is perfect. We do not get the Batman and Bane like, no, I came here to stop you. You know, we don't get that shit. It is like, I'll kill her. Like, and he just says, I believe you. And Uh bam, goes for that tank. I fucking love it. For sure. We did have earlier the, uh, do you bleed? Which kind of was one of those scenes for me. I'm like, Batman would just quietly look up. He wouldn't ask yeah. nobody it's, if he bleeds. It's funny because that line... To himself, he doesn't talk to himself a lot. That line is okay for me, but it's actually better in the Justice League sequel when Superman comes back from the dead and they're all trying to fight him off and Bruce is off doing something else and when he finally sees Batman and flies up to him, holds him up in the air, he's like, I remember you, and he repeats the line to him and says, tell me, do <laughs> you bleed? Superhero. And that is uh, the better use of that line. It was just setting it up for the callback. I have a question. Maybe this is stupid. Why is Wayne Mansion burned in this? What? Wayne Mansion is or it's like dilapidated and just completely run down. He lives in a lake house, and it's just showing that like a bunch of shit has happened. Okay, I got the impression he's like finally resolving himself that he's gonna fight him or take him down or something. Yeah, he has a, there's a scene with Alfred and they kind of meet and he's like, I don't know, in front of a fireplace or something. He's in a room, but the whole house like... Even Maybe he's like, talking about his dad or something like that. Oh yeah, when he says, I'm older than my father ever was. Yeah, it's like totally run down and it, it just made me wonder if I was missing something. I don't know. No, I think it's just to show that like a bunch of bad stuff has happened. I also get the impression that... Non-specific bad stuff. Because they kind of show like walking through the field to get to the mausoleum and stuff, I sort of felt that there was a great amount of space with different buildings, sort of. Yeah, like the lake house is on the same property as the mausoleum and Uh the manor. Exactly, yeah. He's abandoned his old ways. Get it? I do really like that super modern all-glass Lake house. That yeah, is the right back yeah. looks cool. His house looks cool. Yeah. And actually, just because we've said the manor a bunch, Lex has that line at the very, very end where he says, civilization on the wane, manners out the window. Uh, oh, that's neat. I didn't pick that up. The first few times I watched that, I was like, why does he keep saying civilization on the wane manor? What is he saying? But then... Mm. Eventually, I put on the subtitles, and I was like... Oh, manor, not manor. Oh, like W-A-N-E, and manners out the window. I'm like, got it. Because he doesn't pause there. He jams uh-huh. it together so you hear it, you know. But uh movie ends pretty quickly after uh, Doomsday. Obviously, Superman doesn't survive. We have the uh, quick Steppenwolf cameo and Luther's arrest. 
and then we have this beautiful tribute to Superman at the end. There's a quick shot of his, what do you call that? 21 gun salute. 21 gun salute. Yes. We have a quick shot of, of that in, in DC or whatever. And they give you the, the, the slip cover of death of Superman with the, the black and silver on the casket. I love that. But then the, the really nice scene is where Martha gives Lois the ring and we have this beautiful wide shot in this like desaturated Snyder cemetery in the private burial that's just Lois, Bruce, Diana, you know, real spacious fields, trees, and skies. Like I just love the way that that is laid out. It was nice. It felt like the fifth ending. Yes. This movie felt like it kept ending and then like kept going and then ending. I agree with you. And and again, it's just that fucking doomsday thing being so dragged out. But but I really like the way it wraps up. You know, just a quick quick talk of Bruce and Diana of like we see him restored back to the person he was before that face in Metropolis in the beginning, you know, and, and we see him back down to earth and saying, you know what, we should work together. We should, we should get ready. He's like, I failed you in life, but I won't fail you in death. I'm like, that's, you didn't even know him. You met him once. Why did you feel like you guys, that's from a different version of Batman and Superman that have known each other. That's not these guys who just met once. Yeah. Also, that's a cool thing to say post-mortem and you also try to kill this guy. <laughs> it's fair criticism. I'm fine with that. Again, in the theater the first time, that last shot where she throws on the dirt, and it is literally a half second um, where we see the tiniest bit of dirt begin to rise, and I'm like jumping out of my chair like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean. Why would you do that? Because everyone knows that that means that's, Superboy in that casket. Yeah. He's the only one with telekinetic ability. He's no, it's Jason Todd. <laughs> it was Clayface pretending to be Superman. In I have such a hard time with this movie because it gives me so many little fuck yeahs that I like, oh my God, I can't believe I got to see this, right? That like, it's hard to balance that with everything else. It should just be a 30 minute, like when you get those old VHS tapes where they were just like, seven music videos in a row. <laughs> it should just be that, like all the cool scenes just cut like a scissor <laughs> reel, a 30-minute scissor reel. Uh, this would be the best hour-long montage ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Easter eggs. What have we not mentioned? I said in the last thing we did, there was a Kane Square. It might have been this movie with Kane Avenue. I could oh. have confused the two. Gotcha. My only Easter egg, and I should have written down who said it. I think it was Alfred something about could be a phantasm. Mm, yeah. When they're talking about the white Portuguese. Mm, yeah, I think so. All right, I got a few. In the beginning, when Bruce looks up to the sky and he's all pissed off in Metropolis, as they pan outward, the Wayne Financial emblem has fallen off the building and is on the ground next to him upside down. And the shape of it is the Justice League logo that they will use in the next movie. Funny. The a priester egg. How about that? A priester oh! egg. <laughs> what do you think about that? There's a yeah, bunch. It's a Polanski priester egg. There's a bunch of 
Dark Knight Returns things. I'll try to lump them together. We're criminals, Alfred. Nothing's changed. That was we've always been criminals from the Superman with the bald eagle on his arm, you know, in the book. <laughs> I hope the next generation of Waynes won't inherit an empty wine cellar. The Superman nuke. Yeah, that whole scene. That was actually a really cool oh. shot of seeing his decay. But it didn't have. He didn't do any cool thing where he sucked the life out of the things around him. Yeah, but what if, yeah. He, what if he came back to Earth and he just sucked the juice out of all the flowers? Cool. <laughs> Again, they're just they're cramming so much in here, you know. Yeah. Okay, I guess I mentioned most of the other ones. We didn't really acknowledge the mech suit or the... I mean, because uh, that whole fight is just... The rifle, yeah, but yeah. the Dark Knight Returns. Why would Doomsday's body plummet to Earth and Superman's body remain, like, in orbit? That's a good question. It is, and it could just be the positioning where they were in relation to the explosion, but I don't know. But the Doomsday would have been even further out because Superman was propelling him outward. Yeah, you'd think they so. Need to go, you need to have a moment where they go, is Superman dead? Yeah. Where's Superman? Projectile 2. <laughs> it looks like a giant Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Rose says, must there be a Superman? That was the title of an old Superman story. Nicholson Trading Company is on a sign where uh, the Batmobile first shoots out in the beginning of that chase machine gun explosion scene. And it's spelled like Nicholson with the S-O-N. And it's funny because I watched this movie a lot of times and never noticed that. And then I got the Blu-ray. And I was like, wow, I guess that's a lot clearer because that's the first time I could see that. In the fight scene, there's a Riddler question mark stenciled in the background. Uh, in the rain... As they're fighting, Superman gets the, the curl in the front. Yeah, I think everything else we pretty much went over. How about pros? The laser vision. I love seeing all that. I love all of the Superman action in Man of Steel and in this. Again, it is what I wish for some of the anime and like manga stuff that I've seen in the past. Like This better represents these super-powered characters that I've seen before. In a live action setting. Yeah, in a live action setting, like without having some of the powers that these other characters would have, like telekinesis or these like crazy conjuring fireball blasts. You know, because you have characters like Chiaotzu. No, damn it. Batman. No. Like <laughs> Superman? Like, no. God damn it. Wonder like, Woman. I I'm thinking like Silver Surfer, who's the Galactus. guy? Yes, like Galactus. Like any of these actually... The guy from the chick who goes around eating plants. Yeah. God. Yeah, Arthur. <laughs> Arthur the boss. Uh, uh, like some characters are huge and every step decimates buildings. Yeah. But these are tiny people. These are people the size of us. Even a large character like Thanos is maybe eight or nine feet tall. But that's still not a giant. So to picture their tiny-ish bodies capable of leveling cities is mind-blowing and i love seeing this stuff i love some of the stuff that snyder does in this with shots i can only think of a couple other examples but he does these like zoom in zoom out following object shots yeah and i like like cameron did it in avatar and and i've seen it in other things but i can't think of them off the top of my head but like 
Doomsday punches Superman, and then the camera is like, vroom, following Superman into the distance as he plummets into the tankers, and the tankers explode. There's a lot of really cool shots like that. And when you have the Trinity all working together fighting Doomsday, the way it swings around and moves through them is fucking great. I mean, if, if you compare this with like some of the nitpicky criticism we had about the Nolan action sequences, I mean, this mm-hmm. is the... When they don't get totally out of control and like every fucking thing is digitized, in smaller moments, there's some of the best action we've ever seen on screen. Shots of like one room and then flipping to Batman hanging off the brick wall and then like grappling. Yeah, yeah with the, the lightning yeah. from the Dark Knight cover. Yeah, I mean, there's so many awesome little moments. I think mm-hmm. they just kind of overdo it a little bit, but you could take and edit this down and be like, this is the greatest superhero action we've seen, you know? For sure. Just, Ace. just fucking throw Ace of Spades underneath it. Ace of Spades! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what you would call those camera shots, but like the panning of the camera and the camera moves and the zooms, it's like Tarantino's spaghetti western yeah. Zoom in on the eyeballs only apply to like action instead. You know, follow the object off into the distance. So not only does it move, but it also zooms simultaneously. And well, it's so almost like, like watching a, a baseball game or something like that, where you see the camera will follow the yeah. ball. Yeah, it's and kind of stays like a, stationary, but tracks. There's a focus shift at the same time. It's awesome. Or Ev, like you have said about reading Sean Murphy's work in the way he's able to use these tiny little frames to convey action. I mean, you're not really leaving anything up to the imagination. Like you're, you're kind of winding through it with the character and able to feel every hit, you know? Mm-hmm. I like Affleck as Bruce, the way that he's styled in this. I don't know if it's something that like you guys would pick up, but I like his like a little subtle put down, Jesus. Yeah, man. No, no, I no, because you no, I just know idiots, this, you freaking morons would notice these kind of things, but <laughs> because I I know that it's kind of silly, but I like these kind of things. Like I like tailored suits for whatever reason. I don't know why, but the suits that he wears are like specifically these like slate gray tones, and they have like tweed materials for the jackets it's like it's bruce wayne styled in a way that we've never seen bruce wayne styled before yeah and it's like very it's very like it fits him very well even in the end in the funeral scene he has this like they make things for your ties that keep your tie pinned to your undershirt yeah and so it's it's like a bar across it but it pins it to your dress shirt it's like cufflinks for your collar so it's like two shiny diamonds that pin your collar. Anyways, I just think that he like dresses in a really cool way in this. Like a cool billionaire playboy. Yeah, guy. and just different because he's always been a billionaire and he always dresses nice, but this is like a way that we've never seen him styled before. And then additionally, his lake house, for the same reason, Wayne Manor has always looked like an old stone mansion with sprawling stuff and high ceilings and decorative everything. And by contrast, I really like modern home design. So his lake house just looks like modern home design. Three sides of this four-sided structure are glass windows, and it sits on the water, and it's very minimalistic, and it's a rectangle. And I just like everything about the way his style. And then, obviously, the warehouse fight is the coolest Batman live-action fight I've ever seen. I would extend that... Two places. One to his bat suit, 
this design, oh. you know, is spot on the most. I think people have been afraid to do like a a gray and blue comic version. Like, yeah. how do you do that on the screen and mm-hmm. make it look intimidating and scary? And they figured it out with this in such a unique and original way that no one has tried. And I'm so torn because, you know, 89 is forever my favorite and Keaton is forever my favorite, but in so many ways, and we just may never know unless Affleck gets a solo movie, but in so many ways, this is the best Batman. It's funny because I I don't get what they're doing with his suit. Like, I don't understand, like, the patchwork gray burlap shapes. The textured material to me has that look of like a... um some kind of like a hardened weave or something like that. Yeah. Even though it's some kind, it's not, it's not ceramic and it's not metal. It is extra resilient. Yeah. I mean, I get it. it, Yeah. It just doesn't like, um, every other suit always either fits the form in a smooth way, or it is reflective of the shapes that it sits on top of. Pecs Mm -hmm. look like pecs. Abs look like abs. Mm -hmm. Whereas his does not it fits the form and it's like thick in it's like a deterrent for projectiles and stuff. But everybody else has been like, these are armor plates and these are the spaces between the armor plates to make it flexible. So you're mobile. You know, you keep saying that, but that's really only the dark Knight version. No other version has done that. Um, or he just means they're like the Keaton, like the muscle suit. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, but it's usually like a big fucking Greek armor piece or something. It's not. I guess that would be more or less like a flat thing. It would be a solid one piece thing, but it was still made to like fit your shapes. Yeah. But the one thing. Benefits hugely just from Ben Affleck being a giant man. Yes. Yeah. Like if Christian Bale was wearing that suit, or if, uh, what's his face? Robert Pattinson was wearing the suit. I don't think it would work. It's yeah. It works on a big guy. And it's okay. funny because y- you guys think I'm over the top with my collection, but um at some point my goal has been to get at least one real bat suit and you dressed up like the Joker, that's much more reasonable, I think. Shut up. Suit. Shut up. So <laughs> we just read a comic where the psycho dressed up like the Joker. My plan was a psycho. My plan was to just have something for display. But ideally, something that I could wear once or twice for a photo or a convention or something. So I was torn on, like, I definitely want to get the 89 right, but this suit looks so good. And then I thought, have you ever seen a little cosplayer in one of these? Because it doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. It just doesn't, you know? And, like, I am built the same, like, rough height and weight as Michael Keaton. I was like, that I could wear. But the Affleck suit, as cool as it looks, that's one I just have on the wall. I would not wear that. You'd have to do like a Homelander thing. The suit would have to have padding to fill your body out. Yeah. I think that you got to hit the tires with the hammers and you got to push <laughs> the sleds and you got to do the pull-ups. Like pull-ups with the weights hanging from your legs. Yeah, dude. If you, yeah, you got to put the plates on the chains and do the pull-ups. I just look like Zachary Levi and Shazam with the big fake muscles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I really like too is that his cowl is textured, yeah. like in the same way that I would draw like a furrowed, browed character. It's not a solid thing, and it's not that it moves with his face. It's that the mask itself has the kind of lines that you would draw on a character who is giving you like frustrated, aggressive eyebrows, 
And so it has those like crevices built into the eyebrows and I, and I like the texture. And that's sort of a Frank Miller thing too. Last night when I was watching it, there was a scene where Cavill actually does that with his forehead, like right between his eyebrows. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the fucking, that's the mold. <laughs> that's it right there. <laughs> ben, do you have pros? I don't have anything specific that I haven't said. It's just, this has some of the best visual superhero stuff, but I mean, I think a lot of the Marvel movies do superhero visuals better, but this has the best Batman visual work. And Zack Snyder, I mean, he's a visual director. His The overall style of the movie is very cool. Yeah. I like it. I will add to that Affleck all day. Again, as I mentioned, having Clark join in on the Lois Lane Daily Planet side of things, I really enjoyed. References galore. You know, there's a lot of Easter eggs for fans. Like Ben mentioned, recreations of little things. And I find that shit really exciting. Pretty much everything else we've talked about, you know, the Wonder Woman shit is fantastic addition. Let's get into cons. <laughs> a couple of mine I already mentioned. The Doomsday ending is cheapened a bit by the fact that I know that that character actually had kind of a spanning storyline and killed I don't Superman. think it's as bad as Spider-Man 3, but no. it's still pretty bad, like cramming too much in. Yeah. Which one is Spider-Man 3? The one with Sandman and Venom and who's the other villain in that? I didn't see that one. You would have liked it. It was also or famously two. bad, and you would have been like, I didn't notice. <laughs> I enjoyed the fun atmosphere, and or maybe it has Hobgoblin too, or sort of like something like it. Yeah, it it's does. Just too overloaded, and so it doesn't do the character as well. I don't think Doomsday is that bad, but it's pretty bad. Yeah, Doomsday isn't like Darkseid or something. He's not incredibly powerful and incredibly intelligent or anything. He doesn't have a he, complex backstory, really. No, he. I mean, he's not a talking character. You know, he's not a dumb thug, but his his power rivals. Superman's, anyways, and he's a so yeah, just, just he's to a know video game boss. A, yeah, he was a big deal in the comic, and so to be like kind of a not like a main thing in a story was like a little a little silly to me. He could have been the villain of a Justice League movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Could, be, yeah, the Justice been, League movie ends with Superman dying. Exactly, he could have been the whole villain. And that's um, one of the big problems that this movie had is that they worked up so gradually to the Avengers happening. You had so many films before that. And when DC decided, okay, we're going to head in that direction and do Justice League, but we only have one film done. All right, well, the next one, we'll bring in Batman. We'll bring in Wonder Woman. We'll do these little vignettes of all the other characters, and we'll do a big setup at the end you know, it's like they just cram all this shit in here in order to serve the next story. I've read tons of comics, tons of DC comics, Marvel comics, tons of that stuff. I have never heard of Steppenwolf before. Yeah. To have that guy be the villain of the next movie and not Doomsday. Yeah. You could tease Doomsday at the end of this and then have him be the thing in the next one. Yeah, totally. Additionally, I talked about it, but I don't really care for this version of Lex Luthor. Previously, I thought that it was different and novel and this time around i did not otherwise just like you were just saying sam i felt like 
rather than telling its own story, it was serving to like set the table for this other stuff. And it's not that it didn't pull it off. I just wish that it was doing a little less because yeah. it wasn't just Batman and Superman and Lex Luthor and Wonder Woman and the introduction to these other characters and Doomsday. And that's just a lot, even if that it is a three hour movie. It was still just, too much. Yeah, it's just too much crap. It's like There's a, a sequel of this movie that works better. It's a sure. sequel and a spin-off and an origin story and a prequel all rolled into one. It's like just be a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a freaking lot, guys. Yeah. A big one for me is that like Superman's death, the way Doomsday kills him with like the spike, that was kind of cool. Yeah. But I didn't feel anything. I mean, that's obviously all this stuff is fictional and so, but that's the point of a good story, a well-told story is that it draws you in and you forget reality and you're there with them and even though Amy Adams like really sold her yeah. distress over his death, I felt nothing. I was like, whatever. I don't. Yeah, I think she and Gal did a great job in that scene, but because you have been removed from reality for so long by that point and suspended disbelief to that extent to try to then ground it with real life consequences is a difficult thing to achieve. And I, I think I felt it the first couple times I've seen it, but I mean, nowadays it doesn't really register that much to me. I forgot about one little thing that could be an Easter egg, actually. Clark's coffin is like the shiny black with the silver logo. And after the death of Superman in the comics, you have the return of Superman and there's multiple versions of him. But one of those versions is this black suit, either recovery, solar, or yeah. regenerator suit. But there's a version of him that wears black clothing. It was one of the suits, and it was also the slipcover for the Death of Superman issue at the same time. But yeah, he does do the black suit in the Snyder Cut Justice League. They took it out, and everyone was mad in the Joss, <laughs> Whe the Joss Whedon version. Well, even though I did complain about the Death of Superman, it did not feeling, I did feel when... Tony Stark says to Captain America, he's like, you killed my parents and I need you to stop him. Like that, that worked. Oh, so we're back to that comparison now. Mm -hmm. All right, my cons are just, again, that it's overcomplicated. They try too much. You just can't hit all those marks. Angry Cavill, I have a hard time with. You know, we all know the Martha scene, but there's a couple others that I just, I don't know if he wasn't bought in or if he doesn't know how to play it or what. But he's, he's fantastic, and yet, again, they make it kind of easy to shit on it at times. The last thing is the music. Great theme for Wonder Woman, great theme for Lex Luthor, but kind of generic otherwise. There's great moments like A Beautiful Lie in the beginning, and there's so many really good moments that for the rest to be forgettable, like I literally couldn't hum the tune for you is not right. Like how, how can you have all these awesome parts and then 60% of it is just shit. I can't even remember. Yeah. yeah. When you compare it to something like the crow then it just doesn't hold a candle. I love the crow. What is the music to that movie? sound like? Trent Reznor. Oh. <laughs> all right. The Batman trifecta detective. Lois Lane is the detective of this movie. Batman like investigates the white Portuguese and he does some cool like tech stuff, but he's not really doing much more than that. 
he bugs Luther's party. He tracks the kryptonite shipment. He weaponizes that through that montage. I mean, yeah, we get bits of that, but more so Lois and Clark. Ninja? I think that goes yeah, without saying. Pretty badass. Everything. Second place being Ninja Turtles Batman cartoon. First, <laughs> first place. Batman first place. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like Ninja was the best part except for when he went through the roof. Otherwise, it's great. <laughs> When he's hiding in the corner, that took me straight out of it. Trauma? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's another thing where I think sometimes what we're bringing to it, or at least for me, what I'm bringing to it is informing it more than the actual movie is. Yeah. But that is the whole central thing is the way I looked at it is he's weak again. He's powerless. Like you were saying, same as Lex's story. So he's trying to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of spiraling out of control and overcompensating and then we see this moment at the end where he has an about face and is sort of transported back to that moment i think he even says at the end of that part of like martha won't die tonight i promise that you know it's just like not another one on my watch you know we've talked before about how like his greatest failure will always be that even though there's nothing he could have done he still sees it that way and so they might not have directly shown that, but again, we know this character enough. Zach knows his character enough. We know why he would not allow that to happen. I didn't think about it until just now. I get the feeling that Bruce could probably like be with any lady that he wanted to be with, and so it's funny to see him. He's not really trying to put the moves on Wonder Woman or anything, but that they're having like a mini battle of wits or maybe there's like some level of seduction in there or something. And then she's just not having it like that wouldn't exist for him. So it's funny to see him just fall flat. Yeah. He tried to charm her email to her. was like, yeah, this is you. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Now that you mentioned that I forgot, I was going to piggyback onto your Affleck comment about his attire. And I added the part about the bat suit. And we went off about that, but I was going to also say we can give the same praise to Diana's character design because she's got oh, yeah. these beautiful dresses. You know, she's just so dark and mysterious, and her suit being so fucking badass. I mean, she's done it in like four movies now. They haven't changed it at all. It's almost yeah. exactly the same because they they just nailed it that first time. Rating. Four. It's like a two. Oh, don't. In my heart, I kind of want to give it a one, but it's really, it's just too long. There's too much I don't like. And some of those fundamental things are wrong. I'm not just talking about like the Lex Luthor stuff, but like Superman in that scene is set up so poorly for his actions. Yeah. The stuff that's good is great. But yeah. as a whole thing, it's like a two. I was already prepared for yours to be way lower than I normally would expect. So I, I, I was ready for that. Yeah, you're taking this really well. I'm surprised. If you just asked me, I probably would have said like four and a half. But I think that it is a real good discussion that we had. You know, there's, there's a lot of good and there's a good amount of bad. There just is. And so I give it yeah. a four as well. I think that's an honest answer. 
there's a you know a lot that's good and a lot that's bad. So I percent out of 100 i give it a well, almost 90 you know percent yeah. <laughs> yeah because i think that inside this movie on some level is the best batman <laughs> you know and yeah and so it's not the fault of the actors when you complain about cavill you're right but overall my issues with it are not it's not their problem yeah the things that i love in this movie i love so much and the things that you dislike in this movie for the most part, I'm fine with. And so I definitely do give it a high rating. And you guys have each watched this movie, what, twice now? I mean... I don't want to watch it again. I have watched this movie like 25 times, so there's a huge difference. <laughs> How many red flags is that today? That's like... <laughs> spent so much time watching this movie, Sam. <laughs> it might be more than weeks, that. I don't know. Of your life. Do you watch the whole thing every time, or you just like jump to the sweet spots? I never do that with anything. That's what makes you a good lover. I like movies. <laughs> yeah. He's there for the entire ride. I like yeah. movies, not scenes, you know. I don't like listen to an album and skip through three songs I was thinking of that day. I listened to an album front to back, you know. That's more what I do now is just like just the parts I like. That sounds pretty on brand. <laughs> 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 My last note on this thinking about the backlash to how dark and violent it was and I thought, you know, in the era of Black Label and Grim Night and Dark Night Metal and all this stuff shut the fuck up. No, this is some people, comics are still a relatively small thing compared to movies and so yeah. for the majority of people, this is their exposure to those characters and so I think that's fair to say that this is so wildly different than they would expect that you can still do it, but the filmmakers do not connect with their wild interpretation of it for a broad audience. For a broad audience, yes, but most Which of the is what people... these movies are made for. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. No debate. But a lot of the people who criticize them for getting the character wrong cite the comics as their evidence for that. And I was like, well, you can pull a story with any wild version of the character. Like... There's yep. crazier shit than they did in this movie, trust me. This is Robin. Thanks for checking out the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. All right, that is our show. Thank you once again for checking us out. If you listen to the end, we appreciate you even more. Please subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. That'll help us out a lot. You can tag us at BatFanAddict, A-D-D-I-C-T, on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we appreciate you guys spreading the word. We're trying to come back with some good shit for Season 2. Before we continue in the DCEU, we're going to switch back to comics next week, as we always do. Again, we are on a weekly schedule now, up until the Snyder Cut. And uh, we're going to go with this theme, Jeff Loeb's Superman and Batman Volume 1. Stay tuned.